0: This is Film Tank, Tank, Tank,
1: Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no now. Oh, I don't know if it's I like it. You know, we sit here like a couple of regular fellas. We're about to make film
0: history. Can you say that again? Just the way he said Poor baby is starting to
2: lose it. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it.
3: Hello there again, Film Tang friends, and welcome in to episode 215 of our little podcast here. Alex Stegman, along with Nick Cheney. Hey. And Tucson Egan. Bongiorno. <laughs> Bongiorno. Uh that's such a great moment from Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. It really is. A film that is falls just outside of the criteria of what we're talking about today, which is the top films of the decade oh, damn. of 2010 through 2019. Mm. Man, what a ride. You know, it's funny. When <laughs> Another you... film that also falls just outside, but there you go. What a ride? Yeah, I was uh, quoting from the informant. Ah, oh,
0: yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh you know, it's funny, you started this episode as far as starting with your hostly duties. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered what we were actually talking about, so I'm scrambling to get up lists on my phone and everything, because I'm like, oh, I'm ready to talk about whatever.
3: And and I'm, like, you I'm know, down here, for whatever. Here we are.
1: <clears throat> I'm good now.
3: Yeah, so very excited uh, for this episode. Um, this was a brainchild of, of Nick Cheney, and I mean, it's not really something that people weren't doing uh in any kind of media uh at the end of 2019 where they were sharing all kinds of things of tops of the decade and whatever um but especially for us since really half of the decade we spent doing this this podcast um so and and we've all known each other for a majority of the decade i think we met in in late 2012 or early 2013 at least the three of us all together Mm -hmm. um so, it was an exciting time uh, for for us personally. I think to go through our university and to become friends and to start this podcast and uh, some of us enemies. <laughs> and now we can you saw (laughs) (laughs) and now we can celebrate that a little bit um by talking about the absolute favorites we had of this decade and uh i'm i'm very excited for this episode in in the past we've done our top six of the year and those episodes have been some of my favorites of every year just a a great time to go back and look at the best of of the year uh and this is going to be great to go through the best of the decade so very excited to start with though um we usually spend you know two and a half hours going through our our six favorite films of the last year, uh, and we're going to do a we're gonna really do it quick version of that in two and a half minutes. We're try. Here to. we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Nick, why don't you start us off talking about uh, quickly your top six of 2019?
0: Thank you, Alex. Happy to be there.
3: like <laughs> so,
1: What's his name? Uh, uh, Cole from Twin Peaks. David Lynch's character. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Alex. Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole.
0: Well, I do have hair aids. Yeah. All right. So my nice top to six. It. Here we go. Started with number six of 2019. I got to say, I want to preface my list here really quick and say, I don't think this was a strong year overall. I, I, I like the movies I'm about to talk about, but I actually had a hard time narrowing it down from what I just thought was just like very good movies. Like, yeah, great to like actual <laughs> <laughs> Yeah great. to like actual like movies that I ate up and like want to sing the praises of but I definitely landed on I think six that I very much very much enjoy and love mm-hmm. and whatnot. But mm-hmm. it was a little harder. Sometimes I have like top twenties that I agonize over where I'm like, oh, 20 of these movies are good and whatnot but anyway. Starting at number six, my number six, is Climax by Gaspar Noah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Uh, of course. Actually – Have you seen it?
3: You haven't. No, but yeah. I know who Gaspar Noah is.
0: Yeah, but you know what? I hadn't actually seen a single of his uh, films before 2019. Oh. Uh, and fact, Climax was – I can't remember if I watched Irreversible before I watched it or after, but I want to say it was my first time I had watched one. But I watched it I thought it was fantastic. It is one of the few films and considering the subject matter is kind of ironic that I have actually rewatched <laughs> um this year uh because I just thought it was fantastic. I thought the performances across the board from the actual choreography of the dancing to the slightly more naturalistic dialogue uh hmm. over kind of over dialogue pitter-patter of everyone just kind of talking at once. Uh that is so much more effective at something like uh, like requiem for a dream of being an anti-drug movie, which is not explicitly trying to be or anything like that. Like there is, uh, if anything, there is certain pleasures to be found in this kind of almost descent into madness because you know who Gaspar Noé is, and you know, well, just the uh, side effects of drugs and a bad trip gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So part of you kind of are out for blood, like you want to see bad things happen. But it's happening at the expense of people who really did not sign up for it, so it's pretty torturous to watch. I absolutely loved it. I thought the camera work and everything was great.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. My number five is... (laughs) I feel like there's so much pressure now it. I have to like do it all at once. so I don't want to be like you have monotonous. To be
3: foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, so that's you know. great. Well,
0: speaking of Foghorn Leghorn, my number five is Knives Out, starring Benoit Blanc. No, but doesn't he call him uh, KFC yeah. anyway? Yeah. Uh, Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. Yeah. I, Colonel bl- K. Yeah, Colonel K. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Foghorn. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I know I've talked at length on this podcast about my love for Agatha Christie parlor mysteries, and this was obviously a product of that kind of love and whatnot. Um, So I really can't say much about it that I haven't already said just, outside of this, probably my favorite cast assembled this year It's just mm-hmm. so stacked and so well done. And it's the first time when I feel like I love a Ryan Johnson film without reservations, you know, like I've loved what he'd done in the past. And yet I also kind of like squint at it and go, I got to make this work, but I totally appreciate it. Whereas this, I just loved it unreservedly. And I think there's going to be many rewatches. Uh, and I saw it twice in the theater, which I did not see many movies twice in the theater this year. Mm-hmm. So my number four, <laughs> is a movie called The Death of Dick Long. This is an A24 sleeper hit, and this is directed by one half of the Daniels, who Mm -hmm. directed uh, Swiss Army Man. Mm -hmm. And I was not too keen on that movie. Well, I certainly thought it was okay. I didn't, you know, go whatever for it. I haven't
1: thought of it since we did our episode. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. But, man, did I love The Death of Dick Long. I watched it. On Christmas Eve? That
1: poster, I got to say, is...
0: It's pretty great, actually. Yeah. And when you see the movie, (laughs) it's even better. Um, (laughs) But, man, it's it's so great. It takes the kind of trajectory of a small-town Fargo crime drama where everyone's kind of a bumbling dipshit, but you also kind of care about them because no one's done anything at least that we know of, uh, that has crossed the line into pure malice. And because of that, we go on this journey. And once we get to the final act, which I'm definitely not going to spoil, but we enter a realm in which we are asked as an audience to uh, basically try to withhold judgment from characters that are asking for such forgiveness. And uh, if you can do it, I think it says a lot about you. If you can't, I think that's also understandable. But, man, do I think it's a great litmus test and a good conversation starter when it's immediately over for you to turn to your friend and be like... So yeah, Uh, is that acceptable? (laughs) (laughs) And I absolutely love it. So uh, The Death of Dick Long is such a great movie to watch, especially if you know little to nothing about it. Uh, So I highly recommend you watch it. Is it based on a true story? It is not. Oh, actually, yes. It is. Well, I know you're saying that because of Fargo. Uh, But like this actually was based on a news article where it's like they heard of this weird case and then they just wrote a story. Okay. You know what I mean? So But basically the... Incident that is covered up until the last act is the real thing, but these characters are fake. Uh, my number three for 2019, uh, is Parasite mm-hmm. by Bong Joon-ho. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm pretty sure someone else is going to mention it, if not more than one person, so I'm just going to say that it's a fantastic movie. Uh, listen back on our episode that me and Alex was able to do with Dan, because I... Uh, pontificated on it a lot over there uh, but it is so good cinematography is amazing uh, it really deserves I think out of all the movies at the awards circuit the most recognition because it's so rare for a foreign film to truly break through uh, like I was so happy to see that it came back to our local theater yeah yeah and I actually might go see it again.
3: so is Jojo Rabbit yeah so. that's unfortunate but
0: <laughs> but the fact that it was foreign language and it came back I thought that was pretty good I know they do best picture, but sometimes they still get a little skimpy on, like, well, we don't need
1: that or whatever. I yeah. heard somebody refer to Jojo Rabbit as moonright Kingdom. Moonright Kingdom? Moonright. Oh, right. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. It's, that suggests that it might be good. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Parasite I thought was fantastic. And I really definitely recommend it to anybody to at least try it. Uh, uh, my number one and my number two are the ones that I was, like, flip-flopping the most. So my final placement, let's say my number two, mm-hmm. is Once Upon a Time in oh, Hollywood. Wow. I know. Wow! Uh, I it kind of depends if you ask me tomorrow. I could switch it back to number one, mm-hmm. but I'm also going based off of which ones I've rewatched since, and I've had a lot of time to rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I haven't yet. Whereas my number one, I've watched for the first time very recently, and also rewatched it very okay. recently. Same thing with Death of Dick Long. So, mm-hmm. uh. But Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood is uh, no small film by any means. I absolutely love it. I think Quentin Tarantino has made one of his best films in years uh, and I think that the casting and the vibe that the movie goes for is so antithetical to what a lot of people think about Tarantino that I absolutely ate it up. I loved his kind of hopeful romanticizing of Hollywood even in the face of uh, his ultra, impending demise. Yeah, ultra violence and uh, the bastardization of the culture at large and so flat-out phenomenal. I mean, I loved it. I have nothing bad to say about it, but having said that, my number one of the year is Marriage Story, uh, directed and written by Noah Baumbach. Uh, You know, even more so than somebody like uh, Tarantino, Noah Baumbach is a filmmaker I've been following for a long time, if not since the origin of when I became a uh, like a cinephile, to when I first watched his movie *Kicking and Screaming*, and then when I watched *The Squid and the Whale*, which was very much a movie about divorce, but it was about his parents' divorce, uh, which is different than *A Marriage Story*, which is about his own divorce. <laughs> and you know, if *The Squid and the Whale* was his masterpiece of uh about divorce in the most cynical way it's it's so refreshing that uh so many years later like well like almost 20ish uh well maybe 15 um he's now made a movie about his own divorce where he sees things a little more clearly and probably a little more uh Forgivably, because he's now been through it himself and while some people might think that that's cheap like you know it maybe lacks a certain amount of empathy i think it's actually spot on because when you're a child and you're the product of divorce you know that shit's terrifying and it's there's just no good light even if you have the best parents in the world and they're doing the best that they can there's it's just unforgivable in a sense whereas this movie is from the perspectives of the uh, the couple, mm-hmm. and but it's never at the expense of them because both of them have their own autonomous lives, and that's essentially what their big uh, fight is about. And um, I absolutely love it. I think it's two of the best performances of the year. I think the script is fantastic. I think some of the things that people are critiquing it I absolutely loved like I love their big out uh, long drawn out fight I think Mm. it does sound corny because I actually think that's how people fight Uh, I think we've all witnessed either our parents or you know couples we've been with fight and I'm sorry but usually when you're in the fight you don't notice this, but when you're watching it, you say the stupidest things imaginable. And Adam Driver, especially in this movie, says just
3: goes as far as you can go, really.
0: Yes, and <laughs> even before that, when he's just like bragging about, he was like, "I was in my 20s and I could have did so much more, but I didn't," as if somehow that is like I was hot shit and I wanted to fuck everything, but I didn't. Yeah, it's like and, it just comes out, It's just like and hmm? it does, and it's one of those things where it actually makes a weird logical amount of sense in, in that moment where he's so upset because he's because she was withholding in a sense now uh i'm not going to get down as to which person i think was better or worse or whatever because i actually think that's one of the strengths of the movie is that you can pretty much walk away from it thinking they're just not right for each other not that either one was the ultimate whatever but i think marriage story uh to wrap it up was uh Fantastic, it's definitely the movie I wanted to talk about the most this year to whoever who, to whoever had seen it when I saw it at the music box at mm-hmm. its uh the seventy millimeter engagement, I thought it was so good that even when it dropped day one on Netflix, I watched it the day of mm. with my parents because i couldn 't wait to watch it again, which even though only like a week had passed so mm. uh You know, it's probably one of those things where, depending on what mood I'm in, (laughs) because Marriage Story and uh, Once Upon a Time are certainly kind of polar opposites for the most part, uh, I I could flip and swap these any day. But at the end of the day, Marriage Story will probably be the one that I remember the most going forward, particularly in retrospect of looking at these filmmakers'
3: careers. So, Hmm. uh, Marriage Story is my number one. Excellent. Good times. Good list. Thank you. Uh, So I have some surprises on my list, I would say, uh, that I would think that I would not normally include things from these filmmakers or these genres, but here we are.
0: I'm excited for one that I know is going to be in the top six. Okay. Yeah.
3: Uh, So my number six on my list is Midsummer by Ari Aster. That was the one. Okay. Um, I... Was dreading going to the theater to see this film. I know. Uh, when we all went and saw it together, we saw this, uh, myself, Nick, and Toussaint with Anna and Sam. Uh, and I.
1: Boy, what an experience.
3: I actually, yeah, I was going to say, um, even though I had better overall theater experiences this year, I think, just in general, that was such a great time mostly because just watching it with you guys and the two of them and mm-hmm. then going out afterwards and just discussing first reactions to that. Um, that movie just really is is a very, very good film and a very, oh, it's just a very unique film, uh, even though what it's doing is very much been done in other, you know, going after cults and, and looking at that kind of thing. You
1: just liked it execution.
3: its execution. is Execution, his writing, the characters in it. I mean Florence Pugh, who's pretty much just rolling right now. Um, she somehow got an Oscar nomination for Little Women, which she's definitely not the best part of. Um, <laughs> but she, I mean, have you seen it or yeah. not?
1: They saw they saw Midsummer. It's <laughs> like, oh, we got to give her something, but not for Midsummer. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, she's good. Like she's been good in almost every. Obviously, Lady Macbeth was fantastic, and she was she's good in Little Women. I actually really liked her in yeah. that. But she's, she's not the gay. best part. Um, Her character is fantastic in this film. Uh, I think the thing I like most about this is this has so many tone shifts throughout it. Uh, You have the ultra terrible depressing like opening that if anyone had seen Hereditary and then walked into this it is like pretty much just passing the baton off of like why don't you go ahead and get that started right where we left off. Uh, It's just ultra depressing which leads into the beginning of the scenes in Sweden, which are actually, uh, especially remembering back of it from our viewing, but also I watched this just last week for the first time since, uh, I, I got it on Blu-ray. Um, the first, like, 20 to 30 minutes in Sweden are actually pretty hilarious. Um, great, great comedy throughout, following that into the terrible no actions new, that are happening. No new people. Yeah. Um Oh, yeah, yep, yep. Uh uh and then uh just all the other parts of this uh the expression of people being high and what the world looks like and flowers breathing and trees you know dancing pretty much and uh then you have just the insane sex scene that's going on and everything that's happening with the may queen um just this movie just goes through so many different emotions uh and so many different story beats and it's it's just fantastic really well done by ari aster and i think a much better product in this first film so uh midsummer was number six on my list uh, number five actually is a film that I own but have not rewatched, which uh, is a little disappointing because I actually thought it was uh, delightful and terrific. Uh, and that's a film that I haven't seen almost a year now, uh, but that is uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, which I thought was uh, an absolute delight and probably had the best denouement I can recall in quite some time um the ending of this film and i won't spoil it because we didn't talk about it on the podcast and 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 whatever um this film is a fitting ending to the series for sure uh and at the same time just the sort of happy incredible bond that you get in the ending denouement of this film is in the final image uh of the dragon uh in in the Danawa in the ending of this film uh is just a perfect period on the ending of the story um and everything that really went on in this film was fantastic the inclusion of things that happened in the previous two entries um and also expanding upon them and the story that this film had on its own, and just the wonderful artwork that was done here i mean it's it 's computer generated but um, this is a beautiful film and just a a wonderful work uh, that was done to create this and uh, i it probably will not be winning for best animated feature, but i I think it should because even though i haven 't seen. The other entries other than Toy Story 4, Um, this is just exceptional work in my opinion. So I was a huge fan of How to Train Your Dragon 3, which is why it was number five on my list. Number four on my top six of 2019 is Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Um, This is a fabulous film. Uh, It's only the second film of his I've seen. Uh, and the first one, while we're young, is just not that good of a movie.
0: And it's my least favorite, just to mm-hmm. reassure you that he's better than
3: that. Yeah, and and I know you've said that. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to me that he was able to put this film together. And really, um, I think I was texting with you when I was watching it, Nick, that I felt like so much of this has to come from personal experience. Because there are specific details throughout here that are like, this could not someone could not write this Uh, and um, wonderful performances. I I don't really understand how anyone could see Scarlett Johansson and actually Adam driver and think that anyone else this year did better work than they did. Uh, But that's just my opinion. And uh, I, I loved marriage story echoing a lot of Nick's sentiments from earlier. I thought this was a wonderful work. By Noah Bumbach and makes me actually interested to go back and see some of his other films. Like I've always been interested in watching, like Greenberg and The Squid and the Whale, but never have. So I guess probably a little bit of it's the bad taste in my mouth from While We're Young. But I know that you'll be able to send over some of those at some point if I wanted to watch them. So. I could fix that. I just, yeah, it's actually funny too thinking about it. I mean, that's they're they're both kind of you know on top of of what's going on right now. But man. Uh, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig are kind of the first first couple of uh Hollywood right now. Yeah,
0: especially because their recent success was very intertwined
3: with each other mm-hmm. because
0: her first big role, which was not a lead but was in Greenberg. Mm-hmm. And then uh Mistress America and um Frances Ha that they did together where she was writing, he was directing.
3: So yeah, no, they're they're going places. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. Uh, number three on my list uh, is a recent film I've seen, um, but still a film that I absolutely loved, and that was uh, Sam Mendes's film, 1917. Mm-hmm. Uh, both everybody's rolling their eyes. I didn't roll my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I have cataracts.
0: <laughs> Thanks. No, I don't. I got rid of
3: them. Uh, I, in general, in addition to the gangster genre, and and usually, you know, good comedies which are not a thing anymore for the most part uh but war films for whatever reason have always interested me uh and they usually are oscar Beatty, and i certainly think 1917 was that but at the same time uh i think there's a lot of really good work that was done in this film this film has a lot of really Solid technical achievements, which unfortunately get bogged down by its silly no-edit uh, thing that was going on, which yep. I think was
0: not according to the editor.
3: Okay, uh, <laughs> I thought that was one of the most unfortunate choices of, of this last year. Another, another really uh, not great, but uh, another good war film uh, was Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, and that had a lot of really weird editing choices too. Um, Same editor. Was it? Yep. Uh, <laughs> which I read the other day, and I was
0: like, that blew my mind in the oh way of, like, God. Kaiser Soze. Like, I was like, oh. You dropped your coffee cup? Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, Trying to um, chase him outside of the fucking library.
0: That yeah, makes a lot of he, sense. He edited Bond movies, went to do Dunkirk, and then Sam Mendes wanted him to come back to do another War film.
1: So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he, he edited uh Skyfall?
0: I don't know which one, if it was Skyfall and Spectre, or if it was just one of them, but that's how uh, they first met. Uh, okay.
3: Uh uh that was actually probably my biggest critique of the film is that felt contrived total, totally gimmicky and unnecessary and unlike birdman it didn't really fit into the source ma- or it didn't fit into the material that was being used. Yeah. Uh that being said, wonderful uh wonderful elements in this film. The cinematography is fantastic. Lighting, uh camera work, sound design, sound editing, Uh, Even the score, which is a little boilerplate, I still think fits in really well with this film. Um, And and the story, I actually did really enjoy. It is a little not anything that's exciting, um, but I do feel like the idea of this countdown, this clock that's happening, that really has a feel throughout this film, um, does resonate. At least it did with me, uh, and I loved really almost every moment of this film. I thought it was wonderful, and I would not call this a masterpiece, but I think this is very, very good work and something that I was really excited that I got to see in the theater because I, I I thought this was awesome. Number two on my list... He only did Spectre, by the way. Okay. just wanted to put that out there. Okay. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Skyfall is safe. <laughs> uh, number two on my list uh, was Avengers Endgame. Uh, I don't really know what else they could have done to have a better conclusion to this whole enormous story. Uh, we see the uh, opposite of that with Rise of Skywalker, which I kind of liked, but uh, nope. It's there. Didn't didn't really end the story. Just kind of just did whatever it was going to do. Um, Avengers Endgame had a lot of really strong story beats and also did stuff with time travel, but didn't make it You know, feel super forced and also include all of its characters and uh did a really nice job withholding everybody returning until the very last battle um i actually think that last battle is one of the worst parts of the movie uh which is too bad because that should have been the culmination of it and i think it is but at the same time i actually think the cgi looks kind of bad and a lot of the like people walking through the circles and all that shit was really kind of dumb um but other than that The film overall as a whole was really solid. Um, The idea of starting the film with them killing Thanos I thought was actually pretty fantastic. Uh, And then we see just how that world moved on from that without people in it. Um, Thor getting his hammer back, going back to Asgard, just all the things where they move through the franchise's previous entries without it feeling, at least to me, um, overly self-indulgent or anything like that um but uh i really liked this movie and i thought it was a very fitting end to this era of marvel even though they think that they're just going to continue on and it'll keep moving uh i don't necessarily think that's 100% going to be the case as um they really are going to be somewhat starting from scratch uh after this ended and i applaud them because I do feel like this was a definitive ending and maybe 10 years down the road that'll be proven wrong and we'll all look like idiots and Robert Downey Jr. will be back because his career was over after that Dr. Doolittle shit. Um, But at the same time, uh, at this moment in time, I feel like this was a very strong definitive ending to this story that Marvel was telling with Iron Man and Thor and Captain America and Thanos. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy it turned out the way it did. And number one on my list is pretty clearly and easily number one. And that is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. I thought it was definitely the best film of the year. um, And I was so happy that it was made and it turned out the way it did. Uh, I'm very happy with the thoughts that I got out on our episode. So I don't have much more to say about it uh, at this point. But I thought it was a wonderful film um, that, that really was a nice capper on a career for all of the parties involved pretty much and i'm sure most of them if not all of them will continue to go on and do work and who knows how long they'll be active or they'll be living or anything like that but uh all the main players here for the most part have had storied careers and have had highs and lows that have you know some have been higher or lower than others but um they were able to all gather again in this moment in time and you know, maybe looking back on it the CGI part of it will be not so great, but um this was awesome and I'm so glad it was made and it turned out so well and uh I'm just so happy about that. So Irishman is number one of twenty nineteen for myself. <laughs> As Nick is laughing at me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Someone caught in my throat. On to Tucson. All
1: right. So my number six is Jordan Peele's Us Mm. uh this is kind of a film that came out uh very early in the year like came out like um just blasting out February it was February yeah and it's like and it was you know the hotly anticipated like follow-up film to get out um you know it's Jordan Peele's like sophomore effort and you know I while I do like this film I think that I can't help but consistently return to one of the things that was said during our episode for this when I was from Unic which was you were glad that this was thought of but you don't think it was entirely thought through and the more that I watch this film I wish that there had been more time between the space of the release of Get Out and the release of this film I think that had it gone through a couple more revisions maybe a couple more rewrites it might be as strong as as Get Out as its own like holistic self-contained like object I think that it is very ambitious. I think that it's very uh symbolically dense. Uh I love the at- acting from Lupita Nyong'o. I think that her uh climactic fight scene between uh Adelaide and Red is probably one of my favorite scenes of the year. Like I just absolutely love that entire sequence uh to this day. Um and yeah, I I really do enjoy uh what Jordan Peele did with this film, I think that he could, my my only gripe is that, you know, whatever next film he comes out with next, I hope that he just takes his time with it. Yeah. Uh, Number five is Knives Out from Ryan Johnson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I like this film a lot. It was a very uh, entertaining whodunit. Uh, I think that it had a couple of uh, interesting contemporary twists thrown in there. Uh, I like how it sort of eschewed my expectations of like a, a huge cumulative end. Not that it didn't have that, but I like that it had some – it showed us what happened. And so it, it, it showed us what happened in, in in such a way that it seemed so earnest and so honest and so transparent that I could not help but think of it as a fight and trying to sort of like unpack what – not only what I was seeing, but what I, what was I presumably not seeing in its revelations so early on in the film, but oh, it was pretty transparent, like for a, for a mystery. It was pretty transparent of what it was about. Um, I do think that some of the humor was equal parts. The humor could either be, very effective or very cringe-inducing from trying to sort of like clue into this sort of like contemporary sort of uh uh milieu, you know?
0: Yeah, the kind of buzzfeed
1: speak. Yeah, the whole buzzfeed speak. I mean, for every uh the nazi chat was masturbating in the in, in the bathroom, <laughs> there's like this thinly veiled uh, um, uh reference to Trump or this whole nauseating scene yeah. with that. Uh yeah, but I thought it was okay. Uh, number four was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino. I did enjoy this film. I, I really I really did like it. I think that where it fits in his filmography feels very fitting as like sort of a, a presumably penultimate effort. I think that it is very retrospective. I think it is like the story of these two men who are sort of grappling with the idea of being over the hill and the idea of what was lost in that era and what what can only through the magic of film, I guess, be preserved in its own sort of pristine little alternate universe. Um yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was I thought it was really cool. Um also the scene where like all the uh the the lights light up along the uh the Hollywood strip Ooh, like
0: that was so great.
1: That is like yeah. With the the song in the background is like something about running out of time. I thought that yeah. was really beautiful. Yeah. Um Number three is The Lighthouse from Robert Eggers. Mm. I got to see this uh, through an early screening for like one of the classes I was taking, and I absolutely fucking loved it. And the more that I think back on it, the more I just love how deliriously funny it is. I love that about it. I love the, uh, the color palette, or maybe lack thereof, the monochromatic color palette, because it has this sort of uh, ability to... It obscures the passage of time in the same way that these characters, like, are moving through the space and don't necessarily understand the passage of one date to the next. And so it puts me, the viewer, in the same mm-hmm. sort of uh, seat as they are in. And so it just feels as delirious and as strange and bizarre. And it's just so uproariously – it's just – dudes being dudes in the fucking in, in the fucking belly of madness just drinking and cursing and masturbating and getting shit on it's fucking nuts and beating the shit out of each other it's it's can't wait for tucson's
3: bachelor party nope it's not gonna be like that R- uh, Robert pattinson's voice in this film and the fox the fox it smells, it smells like a fucking boss like like <laughs> rotten eggs
1: I wish I could remember that entire outburst verbatim because it was just so hilarious. I could
0: fuck a steak. I could
1: fuck a steak. I, I would fuck it. <laughs> um, so number two, uh, even though I didn't see this until, uh,
0: <laughs> we both definitely went there. Like, even though I didn't see this, I'm going to put this up. No, my no, two. I didn't
1: see this until um, like this year. It released towards the end of last year. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man!
3: It, it came even out. Even though I didn't see this. I didn't release it till this year. I'm like, yeah, no, it really it, it re- yeah. re- re- in 2020. I, yeah, it, it, yeah, Oh, I know, I know. Uh, just yeah, I was, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm, It I'm, was I'm,
0: funny at first. Yeah, but, yes. But now you've taken it too far.
1: Yes, it is. It is. We are recording this episode in 2020. We're talking yeah. about 2019 films. Yeah. and this 2019 film is uncut gems from the Safdie brothers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that this film just—I've seen it twice, and it still blows my fucking mind. It is just a. No, it was it
3: Didn't blow the academy.
1: Yeah, I don't care what the academy thinks. <laughs> it, this is this absolutely rocked my world. Uh, Adam Sandler was so great in this role. I don't care if you want to call it stunt casting or not. I think that he was perfect for this role, and I think that it's just such a convincing like story of one person's pathological inclination towards flirting with self destruction. It's just it's just confounding I remember when I went to go see this with uh two of my other friends like the the last time I went to go see it and I was just like you're going to hate Howard Ratner by the end of this movie' it was I don't like and, and and it's it's easy to hate don't him know but I do I I do I
0: mean I do in the in the well I'm not we won't get it right 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 he's he's I just think there's shades there though. I think
1: there's definitely shades here but I just sort of think that it's just this guy man, that guy needed help. I say this guy, that guy needed help instead of he needs help. Um, I do
0: want to give a shout out to the acting really quick. Not only do I think Adam Sandler was snubbed, but I also personally would put up my ballot, uh, Eric Bogazian as best supporting actor because what he does in the glass room. Oh, he's Arno.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, what he does in the glass room. Just that scalp alone. Yeah. Is great. Well, there's a scalp, and then the kind of metamorphosis yeah. of like the almost. What's in- the score up there? Yeah, almost yeah. the endearing change of mind just yeah. because of like, you know, the trajectory of it Right, like, right. He's like, that just, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's, just, it's great. Anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and of course, number one uh, for me is Parasite by Bang Jun Ho. I. Uh, I watched this film and I was just completely enraptured by it. Like I from moment to moment, it's not rare that I see a film and think like I, I cannot predict what is going to happen in the next scene from scene. And yet it, 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 it it feels like it naturally evolves out of what is going to happen. And I I just love it for that. So great.
3: Yeah. I will say that uh, even though we're not really doing, Uh, Honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Uh, Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which were on both of your lists, uh, were very high on my list as well. So those were definitely two very good films that were uh, definitely earned their Best Picture nomination from the Academy Awards, but just in general being good movies uh, were very good. So glad to hear they were both on both of your lists. Yeah. So this episode um, is going to be a lot of fun uh really looking forward to hearing everybody's lists from the whole decade uh you know we spend so much time talking about individual years so it's always fresh Uh, i mean fresh-ish um but looking at a whole decade it's going to be a lot of fun to hear everyone's picks and what their films are that really move them from such a large sample size so um let's just get right to it and nick uh, i guess you should start us off
0: Thank you so much for choosing me as I load my list. There we go. Um, You know, I do want to put up a conjecture right now and say, I don't think, based on just my own list, there's going to be a single
3: film that's going to be on all three lists. So I'm very excited to see. You don't think there's a single film on your list that will be on anyone else's list?
0: No, no, no. All three lists.
3: So So you think all three of us, there will be no crossover at all? No. This will be interesting. There I'm is sorry.
0: not going to be one movie that will be unanimously okay, on each. I, see. I, I can see. see one where maybe me and Dusan will have it and I can see one where maybe, you know, Okay. but I'm just saying like I think it's such a varied experiment especially based off just my own
1: list. Mm-hmm. You know just what, Nick? At it. I think that's the dumbest bet you've ever made.
3: That that I think you're wrong. Okay. You could have just said I disagree. I disagree.
0: Could remember.
2: <laughs>
3: remember there's but... uh there's a great meme out there. Uh, with with uh, the Joker, no, oh, now with uh, too. Bong Joon, uh, uh, Bong Jun, Bong Junho, yeah, uh, ho is his first, name. and it's actually fantastic because it replaces the subtitles of what he's saying uh, at uh, the Golden Globes when he's giving his and, and just replaces with "This is how I win." I know, <laughs> yeah, was just this so is joking. how I win. That was just uh, yeah. pretty perfect, especially considering the speech he gave. Yeah. So, I'm uh,
0: not okay. usually into like. You know, circulating memes and all that, but I will admit the cross-cutting of the uncut gem scene with the Joker scene is great. Right. <laughs> yeah, with that's the, my the, shit. The when he's like, get this fucking guy it's out like, of like, here.
1: oh, this fucking guy, <laughs> bing, bong. <laughs> Just ignore him. <laughs> so great.
0: Anyway. All right. Uh, and for this, we are going to alternate, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're doing the top 10 of a decade. <laughs> yes. I wanted to like start at the top. Yeah. Coming in at number 10, <laughs> we, uh, I, I should say, <laughs> have a documentary. And I know it's uncool to like the person now, but the original, I would say, piece, not the first thing they ever did. and Yes, I'm being coy a little bit, but hold on. Uh, but I would say the epicenter of how he became Even more famous than he already was, was this movie, and I still think it's a wonderful work of art, which is Exit Through the Gift Shop, Ah. uh, Banksy's documentary, so to speak, Ah. uh, about art, the commercial value there there within. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. And uh, I've seen this documentary a lot, and um, the story of Terry Guetta uh, becoming this prolific street artist uh as uh gallery artists as, artist, as yeah. to I think like Mr. Brainwash or whatever his yeah. name is uh the mediocre uh the meteoric whatever what's the fucking word. I'm meteoric. Yes, meteoric the
1: medi- it's both meteoric and medi it's this meteoric <laughs> yes. mediocre rise.
0: Yes. Uh in the face of Banksy's kind of manipulation, uh, is just so Wonderful to watch, especially with the culmination of uh the the art show and everything and um it's a thrilling narrative to watch, but it also has so much to say about uh us as a consumer, us as a viewer us uh and not only that, but then also just at art in and of itself it 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 almost gives the thesis that art is as meaningless as it is meaningful, you know, and the idea that something is better or worse than something else is inherently a fallacy because there's no such quantifiable way to, you know, put that out there. Uh, And this movie definitely uh, goes that great length to explore it. And there's so many great set pieces, like when they sneak into Disneyland uh, and a few other great uh, stuff. But if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, I think it's one of those documentaries that will actually like kind of grab you, because there are some documentaries that are great, but you're also a passive watcher.
1: (laughs) And if anything, the value of higher art is entirely arbitrary, because it's just used to launder money between rich people.
0: True. True. So, uh, yeah, Exits Through the Gift Shop, Uh, the documentary directed, I guess, by, yeah, still is credited, directed by Banksy, uh, is my number 10.
3: Very well. Uh, Mine will actually be a little bit short. Um, because it is the only entry I have from 2018 on my list. Uh, So number 10 on my list of the top 10 of the decade was 2019's The Irishman. Um, I really, really like this film. I had probably four or five films that were on the cusp of being number 10. Um, And I was originally hesitant to include this because I've only seen it once all the way through and then another time catching up here and there. Um, But at the same time, the more I compared it with the other films that I had on there, I decided that this was the right selection for me at number 10. This was a great film. It was a great return to form by Martin Scorsese. um, And with more viewings this could definitely move up my top 10 list of the decade of 2010s uh at some point um but for now it definitely deserved its spot at number 10 and is a film that i i just really loved and i'm, I'm really happy that happened
0: i looked at my sorry to you know yeah. whatever but i looked at my 2019 list and i'm like oh is there anything i want to add now that the year's over or whatever and I added nothing. Uh, not that that's like bad or good or whatever. But then I looked even closer, and there's uh, three out of the ten years that are absent completely from
3: my top ten. That's so. right. I've, yeah. I've got, I've got years that are not on there. Yeah. There's, there's very uh, at least for me. Uh, and I was mentioning this. You guys probably record the episode. There's a very clear spot uh, where my favorite films from this decade was happening, and it was really hovering around the middle of the decade. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you on that. So number ten for me was The Irishman.
1: Number ten for me was 2013's Under the Skin by Jonathan Glazer. Ah. Um, I the more I think about this film, the more I really enjoy it as sort of this alien horror story about gender, and that it's it starts out as this 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 alien entity wearing the skin of a woman and just going out and hunting and. As horrifying as that is, it, becres- it progressively becomes more horrifying for the fact that you're now sort of gradually empathizing with this character as they are sort of negotiating sort of the, the physical and emotional ramifications of gender performance and what that leads to, and how they actually interact with other human beings and how human beings end up becoming the hunted into the hunter's. Like gradually culminating into that, like that was uh, really surprising and really interesting. It still has one of the most uh, shocking uh, horror images of this past decade with the baby on the on the beach. Oh yeah, and then the cut back to the baby on the beach after you forget about you feel like oh man that that's awful, and then it jumps back to it and I'm like oh my god why did they have to show me that again yeah so that's my number ten under the skin. I'm pretty.
0: Hi, right, you're gorgeous. Do you? Aye, definitely. Good. I've got a nice smile as Do I? Aye, big thing. I've got your smile. Aye. You got a nice smile on yourself. Cheers. Good. You. <laughs> Sorry, face ID needs to unlock my phone. <laughs> okay, my number nine. Alex, No comment is a movie by Jim Jarmusch, Only Lovers Left Alive. Oof. Um this is in my opinion a beautiful ode to uh the kind of immortality of art and the way we kind of go through our lives uh both tethered to it but also existing in a life that surpasses it and how we move uh in a forward trajectory that is not always on the same plane as art and how the only real connections we can make is with each other, even if we are bonding over uh, shared media and whatnot. And it's just gorgeously shot. It's a unique, I think, at least, take on the vampire genre. It's, uh, I think, a great hangout movie. Um, It's very tranquil to the point where I put it on a lot before bed Mm -hmm. because it does kind of put me to sleep, and I don't mean that in a pejorative, but just Mm -hmm. it has a very kind of... uh, Uh, I don't know, melancholy attitude and the, excuse me, the score and the soundtrack is uh, appropriately kind of lullaby-esque, and I absolutely love it. And I was so happy that Jim Jarmusch kind of uh, has entered this genre foray, and it's much, at least for me, a much better attempt than his most recent one, like in 2019 with The Dead Don't Die, even though I did enjoy that as well. But um, yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive I think is genuinely one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen. I actually like Tom Hiddleston in it. I don't <laughs> normally, like, yeah, he's fun as Loki, but like uh this is a much more rich performance. Uh kind of doing a similar thing too where he's playing this kind of whiny man child, but it's funny because it's all relative because his girlfriend is a vampire who's way older than he is and and his af- and her affection for him is almost like transcendent because she basically forgives him for being the way he is because he's only like 800 years,
2: uh, you know, uh, younger. Years. Yeah. I was about
0: yeah. to say older. Younger than she is, you know, and, and it's kind of great because it also is like they have this open relationship that exists uh, that spans literal time and
1: place. I'd imagine it'd have to be.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and um, great supporting performance by John Hurt as the aging and... Almost dying vampire, even if that's that kind was, of. A... That
3: was pretty close to his actual death, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh... A couple of years
0: prior? Yeah, it was a couple of years prior. It was definitely one of the things he made when it looked like he was actually older. And yeah, because like, he's always looked old, but that was mm-hmm. like made it looked like he was on his deathbed, um, which kind of makes that performance all the more kind of uh, powerful now mm-hmm. when upon rewatch. So, Only Lover's Left Alive is just a movie I could put on again and again, and. Uh, I absolutely loved it, and and I know Alex regrets going to Evanston to see it, but I'm glad I got to see it in the theater, so thank you for taking that journey with me.
3: Well, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, uh, I've never been interested in revisiting that film, so maybe someday, but I don't know about that. Goes good with a joint. (laughs) Good to know.
2: How can you have lived for so long and still not get it? This self-obsession, it's a waste of living. It could be spent on surviving things, appreciating nature, nurturing kindness and friendship and dancing. You've been pretty lucky in love though. If I may say
3: so. Uh, My number nine is the 2013 Ron Howard film Rush. Hey, he's looking at me.
0: It's legal now. I can save it on our podcast. Sure.
1: What?
3: I don't know. You're giving me a look. No, I wasn't. Okay.
0: But it is, so can't arrest me. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Did you guys hear what I said or not? Rush. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Please continue. Um, the yes. race car movie Rush is number nine on my list. Good movie. Uh, it is, and uh, this is a film that I've probably rewatched more than almost any film over the last five years, uh, mostly because I do find it to be compulsively watchable, and at the same time, um, not just because of its sporting content, but because of its pacing and its wonderful acting by its two lead characters, Um, I actually think that uh, Chris Hemsworth is a pretty good actor, but he picks a lot of really not great roles. Um, And I think this really highlights how he actually could be good if put in a situation to succeed, uh, not just doing, like, some Men in Black shit. So... Uh, He's really good here. Daniel Bruhl is very good in this film. Um, And we get other little performances by a lot of kind of lesser known British actors and also people like Olivia Wilde um, that are in this. Uh, But mostly, this film is great because, A, it has wonderful actual scenes of race car driving. Um, And you get them in other films, too, and not anything like what they did in Ford vs. Ferrari was bad. Um, But this actually felt... Yes, Um, but the scenes in this actually felt super authentic for what the racing actually, A, should be, and B, what we as the audience think it should look like on the screen. Um, That aspect was pretty much just flawless, Uh, and then the actual story that progresses through here... Um, which is the rivalry between James Hunt and um, Lauda, Hans Hans Lauda. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Nicky Lauda, my bad. I'm thinking of Hans Landau. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, I can't remember really
0: quick uh, because I have seen it.
3: Are they Formula
0: One drivers? They are, yes.
3: Uh, And they do have a very real rivalry, and it is – very much a a signature part of formula 1 this idea of people being in cars that are basically the same drivers but they're in better equipment whatever um and then that changes around and they actually do have a great rivalry and then obviously the awful crash that happens with nikki lauda where he gets his body completely burned almost is just horrifying um, but a lot of the emotions throughout here are actually really strong in a in a really just a summer, you know, popcorn movie for the most part. But it does have some serious depth um, and also has for sure my favorite quote of the entire year, which actually was a walk off quote, which is even better, um, which is Nikki Lauda talking about James Hunt as they had this really, really combative relationship throughout and uh, talking about that. James Hunt was only one of the only people he ever liked in race car driving, but he's for sure the only person he ever envied, um, which I thought was one of the most human things ever for anyone to say, uh, especially to end a film like that. I would completely agree. In fact, I would say that the
0: Admiration that Ford versus Ferrari is like mysteriously getting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of baffling when I feel like nobody saw Rush mm-hmm. back when it came out, and I did in the theater. I haven't rewatched it since, even though I really did enjoy it. But I think you're touching on the human element that even I remember seven or so years later, because I do also remember a moment that happened during a press conference when I think the Yes, and
3: then it's an actual real moment that I think I know you're where where one of the reporters stands up for the other, doesn't it? Yeah, one of the reporters, and this is Nikki Lauda's first race after and it's pretty quickly after. It is like two months after his terrible accident where his almost whole body is burned when he goes back to racing. And He's giving this press conference, and this is actual verbatim what happened during the real press conference. Some journalist journalist, asked, well, do you think your marriage will be able to survive your look? And he's like, fuck you, I'm leaving. And he gets up and walks off, and then... Uh, James Hunt goes and beats the shit yeah. out of this journalist afterwards, and it kind of um, dispels yeah. the
0: entire myth that like rivalry is only born because two
3: people can hate each other. Mm-hmm. Half the time
0: it's the media putting it forth.
3: Well, and I do and think that not that like they didn't have. I was going to say yeah, but, but um, no, it's but there's something more important mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, no that that ending part of this is, is nobody one... talks to
1: him like that but me.
3: Well, yeah uh, the the ending of this is just one of the most heartwarming things I can think of because just actually going all the way of what your actual emotions are and not just, you know, putting the regular bullshit out there. So a wonderful film, uh, done by Ron Howard, who I don't think is that great of a director, but, um, he did a wonderful job here and, uh, really wonderful. So number nine on my list is 2013's rush. What a rush.
1: Okay. So number nine on my list is 2016's moonlight by Barry Jenkins. Mm. Um, what can be said about this film? Uh, it definitely deserved its uh,
0: snafu. <laughs> it,
1: no, it didn't deserve its snafu. It deserved its re- reward, and the snafu is just a damning indictment—not of the film, but of the entire La-la land, the oh. entire academy. Of color blindness. Yeah, oh. color blindness in and, old age and, and dyslexia and inability oh. to read. Um, <laughs> Anyway, you know,
3: really quickly, yeah. The Oscars have absolutely not recovered from that. Nope, they have been just in a funk ever nope. since then. Nope. And you know what? It is deserved. Yeah, they, oh, they deserve boy. it. Yep. Damn, that was that was incredible. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, it was. So many people turned the televisions off. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. Um, Sorry. So, Continue.
1: Moonlight. It is a affecting, transcendent, and humanizing uh, coming of age story. I think that it is a authentic portrayal of black life and of navigating sexuality in a non just not just sexuality but identity just in general masculinity masculinity like all that encompasses identity in 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 that sort of regard not trying to like talk about it in vagaries or anything like that but all of its multiplicity that go into it um yeah I, i i really just love this film I think that it is beautifully lit. I think it's beautifully scored. I think it's beautifully acted. Um, it just feels so of itself. And I'm very happy that it exists. And I'm glad. I'm so thankful that I got to see it in the theater. Yeah. So, Moonlight, number nine. Hell yeah. I'm so ashamed of myself that I haven't
0: seen uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. I it feel was like I let. Barry Jenkins down because of, like, I very much love Moonlight, and then I just didn't go out of my way to watch his second
1: feature. It was good. I, I really well, enjoyed second, it. his second, but his Yeah, yeah, I know, his, 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 uh his, after his, yeah. his, his, his breakout film, yeah. yeah.
0: Number eight. Yeah. My number eight is something I'm not going to talk about too long, because I've talked about it on one of our best of episodes. My number eight is... 2017's Revenge. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, It's good. One of the themes of I think my movie-going experience in this past decade, particularly the last half of the decade, is my venture into exploitative filmmaking. Mm. And I think this is kind of the cream of the crop of that kind of mentality, which is you can tell extremely powerful stories uh, not necessarily at the expense of the uh, you know The the hurt or the wrongdoings of people in society, but in spite of and uh, almost truth to power in in the face of. And so what this movie, I think, does uh, as it kind of retcons the trajectory of so many uh, rape revenge stories that came before it and lets its female protagonist actually not only get revenge but also rewrites even the prelude to the rape because a lot of times uh, i would say uh, there are some really notable examples of rape revenge films like i Spit on your grave or um, uh, miss 45 by Abel ferrera which is, i love that movie but where it's almost like the female they, they go out of their way to portray the female as like doing nothing to quote unquote deserve it in the sense that like they make sure not to fall into the trappings of like what they were wearing or whatever you know like all that bullshit that people say whereas what i like about revenge is that the female in revenge is doing all of the stereotypical signposts of what a judge who's an asshole or whatever would go through of like well what were you doing the night before what were you saying what were you wearing and it says that that identity is allowed to exist and allowed to not be raped like you know like that is a human fundamental truth that you should be able to party you should be able to do what you want enjoy your own bodily autonomy and also you should be able to not be harmed by another human being and I absolutely love this movie so um, it's streaming on Shudder if you have that otherwise you can rent it on most VODs uh, and I think the other two guys here very much enjoy it as well when I oh, showed yeah. it to yeah. them considering yeah. it's not something you guys would normally seek out but yeah but yeah
3: um, yeah, that's also, too. You could eat. Uh, I could see a lot of people just easily watch this and be like, you know what? She shouldn't have put herself in that situation. That's the thing. And that's why I love it. That
2: yeah.
0: entire prologue basically challenges you to just to basically ignore it and not ignore it in the sense that, like, oh, it didn't happen or oh, it doesn't matter. The point is, it matters because that's who she is and who she wants to be. And that never equates to what is done to her. Yeah. So, yeah.
3: Hmm. It's a good movie. Yep. Number and eight. Absolutely. Revenge. Yeah. Uh so number eight on my list is a film from two thousand fourteen that I absolutely loved, which was Birdman. 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 It's Birdman. Good. It's a good bird, man. <laughs> uh I feel like um at least on uh, we were doing uh before we were doing a podcast, but um when we were starting to hang out together and spend more time together and, and see movies. Um, This was one of the first experiences I recall from the theater that we went together where I just love seeing a film that I would not have normally previously gone and sought out uh, in my younger days. Uh, I, I think we all went to go see this well before it's Oscar Buzz, and when mainstream audience e type people really went to go see it, I remember my parents famously going to see it and my mom being like, "What the fuck was that um, and I thought that was pretty delightful, um but I thought this movie was really good um i like I remember vividly remember, and i don 't really write things, but I remember waking up at two in the morning and writing this like three page essay on this one time. Uh, and I really don't write anything, uh, and that's like. But it conjured
1: that sort of response out of yeah. you, so it of had to be. Uh, special. And
3: I am like a little ill thinking about trying to go back and read that because I'm sure it's just a bunch of dribble, especially five years ago. Me and fr- that was a night, yeah yeah so um but at the same time i still do very much enjoy this film and i thought it was uh, wonderfully done um for the most part i've been a huge fan uh, of what indian has been doing with his career uh he's kind of <laughs> taken a, a bit of a break here which is totally fine because he seems like he's an asshole but um at the same time between this and the revenant um he did great work in this decade and. Uh, This film in particular, Birdman, was very good, wonderful performance, a fabulous melding between the stage and the screen, um, and really showed off the idea of the no-cut throughout, um, and it's used for an actual purpose, unlike 1917, which is a good movie, and I really like it, um, but here the non-edit really fits into what the story is and what the story structure should be um and and what the you know the presence on stage and everything so um birdman's a really really good film a huge return for michael keaton um and, and and god damn it's a really good casted film a film that didn't care about necessarily about status of it wanted to pick the right person for that role like having batman from the 90s be that character and bringing in Andrea Risenborough, even though she was basically an unknown, but she was a great person for that role. And putting even, Naomi Watts in her role and it, it just it was just great. Even Zach
0: Galifianakis, who is, yep. I think, perfectly casted, but obviously a lot of, I think, prestige directors would not have... Wanted to do that, so to speak. Yeah,
3: and finally somebody found a role perfect for Edward Wharton to play in a huge <laughs> asshole. So it's great. Um, uh, yeah, this is just a the very, role he's been waiting for his entire life. Oh, he's he's earned it. Oh, yeah, uh, a very 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 good film that I'm I'm so happy that um, we all got to see together and that uh, you know uh, it, it won Best Picture and I think it was definitely deserved and. Uh, even though it's not a film that's going to go down as a classic for most people, and it probably won't really for me either, um, I definitely have a lot of fond memories looking back on this and think it's a, a wonderful work. So, How hilarious
1: would it be if like Edward Norton was never given the script for Birdman? He actually thought that he was filming, like he was actually doing a performance of Death of a Salesman. He was just sort of, this
3: is who he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, there's just, there's a lot here. So, yeah. number eight on my list is Birdman. Yeah.
2: Said yes!
1: In the interview, your father was a drunk like Carver. Is that true, Mac? I'm
2: is that my, true? No, no. Because my what? father
1: was. My father was a mean fucking drunk. You understand? Okay. He beat the shit out of us. That was okay, though, you know, because at least when he was beating us, he wasn't thinking about taking, <laughs> taking us out to his tool shed. Because oh we got the tool shed, that son of a bitch would smell like a... You want to get down here? He's gonna my belt. Oh, oh, <laughs> or do you want me to take it off and use it on you? After a while, I made myself numb, so you know. But my
2: sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
1: Hey, 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 hey. Oh God. Uh, uh, I didn't know. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that is that's fucking horrible, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's also not true.
2: See, yeah, I can pretend to eat. Yeah. Oh! Don't whoa. fuck me, Mike. I'm you're, telling you.
1: You're a little bit crazy. You know you're what? You no, should start using Yeah, that yeah, you have stage. no fucking idea. So working with Rick and Thompson's like Walsh with a Monkey? Huh? I might have said that. Yeah, you, that. you mo- Come on. Let's go. Come on. Yeah? Yeah. yeah why don't you Come get on. your wings in your fucking bird suit, man? Oh. Ah! Number eight on my list is 2015's Mad Max Fury Road by mm. George Miller. I know that mm. we have talked about this film multiple times, either... Through the episode that we originally recorded and was destroyed,
0: and <laughs> the re-recording, and the re-recording, <laughs>
1: and probably our uh, our top best of our, our top best of of that year. Uh, is this film overrated? Yes. <laughs> is it still one of the most important action films of the decade? Yes. I will still say that I will still stand for this film even if it's overblown. You are not alone. I think that this film is exceptional. I still think that Furiosa is Bay and I still think that the action scenes in this film are absolutely fucking phenomenal. It is incredible that he was able to pull these off and God help us, I hope that he's able to give us another one of these in the next decade. Yeah, That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm willing to lose that bet with, with Alex if it means us getting another Mad Max film in this decade, please.
3: Yeah, we still got that in the Memento bet on the table, so we'll see. What is the Memento bet? Uh, the Memento bet is if... I feel he's... like that bet should be
0: expired after at least like Man. two, three, four, five more years.
3: No, no, no. Remind me of this. <laughs> uh, so there was I'm a preventing him from saying <laughs> Yeah, there was a uh, confirmation... <laughs> <laughs> that there was going to be a uh, remake of Memento. Oh, that sounds like dog shit. It does. And I said that I was o- overly confident that they would have Josh Brolin play in the main character, and you scoffed at me. Oh, fuck we it. Both, I'll take that we bet. We both
0: did. And mm. the bet was, if Josh Brolin is casted, we owe him money. And if anybody else is casted... I'll take that bet. He owes us now, money. Yeah, I the disagree, the, Larry. Now, so really, the, the, the ex- expiration the is to your
3: benefit... It is. I mean, if it never gets made, then nobody wins. Yeah. Um, But But at the same time, uh, the rules were, A, the film has to get made for the bet to get paid off. Okay. And... A wrinkle in it, which is sort of my favorite, but the whole thing's not to my favor, yeah. is that if Josh Brolin is officially casted and drops out, I still win. Casted, okay. not rumored. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. If That's fair. If bad. he's casted and then he drops out of the film, right. I still win. Okay. okay. Yeah. Let's go. It's probably, not like a not article. get me. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, so-and-so's in talk. No, no. No, like, if he's actually casted and then... Ru- ru- leaves the project. We really got to get some yeah. sticky notes so we can keep track of all our
1: of our Yeah, there's only two. Just put yeah. two of them right there. <laughs> yes. Mad Max needs to be made, Josh Brolin, Memento, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> but yeah, that's my number another 8. Another one
0: that just says remember Sammy Jenkins.
1: Oh my god. Re- uh mm. number 8, my number 8 is Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs>
0: Good stuff. Right on.
1: My number 7
0: is 2012's Spring Breakers.
1: Of course. It's a
0: great movie. Uh, it is... Uh, I, I do enjoy it. Every time I rewatch it, I'm kind of like reminded why I like it because it can certainly kind of fade from my memory as to like, was that just a fad? Was that just a thing? And in, in a way it was, and as I said, it's not like I'm hearing a lot of people still talk about it to this day or anything like that. But if I'm ever reintroduced to it it all comes right back to me and um i just think the movie's exceptional i think it is this weird uh disgustingly sleazy trek into the bacchanalia of young flesh and the rotting decay of the youth of america but also as
1: so true to its subject. Yeah,
0: and 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 I also think it's just it's just so wonderfully made. I mean that's half of it right there, is that Harmony Corinne made a gorgeous movie. It just happens to be about what it's about um but the elliptical editing and the gorgeous soundtrack even when it's doing Skrillex which you know I didn't think I'd actually like but you know it works in there um is it's so great and the performances I mean you gotta remember the casting for it back in 2012 was actually pretty crazy that Selena Gomez and Ashley Tisdale and um uh, Vanessa Hudgens would all be in this movie, especially because most people didn't even go see it. I mean, the mainstream, whatever. So they were they were only thinking of it as like quote unquote skin deep, as like oh they're they're gonna be in a trashy spring break, you know, movie. Then you go see it, and it's like worse than you think it is in the sense that these are uh, just just totally corrupted souls uh who like debauchery is like the beginning and then it's actual uh depravity you know and and the fact that all three of them played against type uh except for maybe selena gomez but that was purposeful her name was faith and she was the religious one and she leaves the uh the trip early and whatnot um but the fact that they all played against type and they all kind of launched into their new phase of their uh pop stardom uh, I just think it's it's just so perfectly encapsulates the way people <laughs> have a weird finicky relationship with morality because so many people saw that trailer, and I'm talking like a certain age of people, (laughs) uh, maybe like over 40 or so, uh, (laughs) saw that trailer and was like, that looks awful, that looks disgusting. And they're the exact same people, though, that are sexualizing minors Mm. uh, in commercials and or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is somehow gross to them, and yet, technically speaking, they'll do it on a much more quote-unquote copacetic forum and or uh, in their own fantasies. Mm And I just thought Spring Breakers uh, brought that to the forefront, while also just being downright disgusting and uh, just fun and, and just great, and I think James Franco is actually amazing in it, like, not because the performance takes, like, a lot of work or anything like that, but like, it's a choice, <laughs> and he's committed to it, and is one of the best parts of that movie. I mean, his stupid Scarface monologue, look at my shit, is actually... <laughs> we we talk about recently a lot of movies and how they're made in, like, Trump's America or they're made just before Trump's America or whatever. I feel like that, look at my shit, is one of the last vestiges of a piece of artifact from a media that we can look back at that is not of Trump's America. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Trump's America didn't have a place right. before, you know, whatever, but was of this... Post-recession boom of hmm, kind of yeah of excess and greed and whatnot, and it it is so much uh, of that era. And I I watched it for the first time in a couple of years uh, earlier this year, and a lot of tequila and pot was had. But let me tell you, it it held up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why. why? <laughs> but even if I was sober, though, it it I just think it's a genuinely fantastic movie. So uh, you can't say you'll see anything else like James Franco and the three girls singing Britney Spears every time to a montage set of all their ridiculous nowhere near petty <laughs> crime runs of like them holding up people and robbing them in mm. any other movie this year. And only Harmony Corrin can give us that. So, hmm. Spring Breakers is my number seven. Yep. Yes.
3: Alright, very good. Uh, my number seven is Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi. <laughs> which I thought was a fabulous film. Um, I loved it and it led to some of my disappointment about the last Star Wars film. Um, but, Don't need to really spend much time on that. Less said about that,
1: the better. We have an episode for that. You can check that
3: out. We have an episode for The Last Jedi as well. Um, This was really exactly what I always wanted Star Wars to be, which is why I hated all the negative reaction um, post the release of this film, which is a shame, but um, this was a film that really encapsulated A, what the director's real... His background was. Uh, it also followed through with some real character details and some decisions on characters, whether it be deaths, whether it be them going to different places. It introduced new characters that were intriguing and interesting and and fun to be with. Uh, this was just a fun film to watch that was uh, interesting and. Also, just 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 a good time, and it's it's too bad that that it moved in a different direction uh, uh, afterwards. But you know, we'll always have this one kind of like looking back on. It. And there are other Star Wars films that I really like, but always have Empire Strikes Back because that's my favorite, and it is I think the best. Um, but this film. I think stood out in the crowd of the new trilogy and was really a wonderfully done and wonderfully made film by Ryan Johnson and the rest of the team who made it. Um, And I, I'm just happy that it was made in the way it was uh, and that we all got to go see it and experience it. And I think for the most part, all like it to various degrees. Um, And, and that's, it's great. And it was a, Massive win for Disney, and now they're going in a different direction because Mm. they can't help but just destroy themselves. So,
0: yeah, I think that was the first and last time that we'll all be on the same page for Star Wars. Not so much that we all had the exact same thoughts, but that we weren't uh, at each other's ends, so to speak, of like,
3: no, or yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Force Awakens was a good opening for the series, and, and definitely a good introduction into what it's going to be, but who knows what it's going to be now. I mean, it's it's, it's all over the place, and there's no direction, it feels like, um, and I don't think you want it to be like Marvel, where you've got 400 films planned for the next five years, and we know what each one of them is going to be, but at the same time, you also probably want a little firmer Yeah, I was going to say, control. technically speaking,
0: uh, just comparing Endgame to Rise, uh, Clearly, as much as I should on Marvel, at least having a plan works out a little bit better.
3: Usually, yes, um, but Last Jedi was a huge win, um, and and just one of the better films of the decade for me. So I'm I'm happy with it. Uh, I loved a lot of parts of it, and the fact that we got the throne room scene uh, and the killing of Snoke with uh, Ray having the lightsaber levitate to her hand and the way that the rest of that played out and um, the Holdo maneuver, um, just awesome, really exciting filmmaking moments mm. in The Last Jedi. The and
1: showdown between Luke and Kylo. Yeah. yeah. It was okay.
3: Yeah. But anyways, yeah. I-, I love that What's movie. It's
0: number like six in the- or seven.
3: Yeah. That part of it is not, not the best. But yeah. at the same time, the-, the whole film is great. So yeah. number six. Yeah. Right? Se- seven. Yeah. seven. Number seven. Okay. Number seven. Number seven. The yeah. Last Jedi. Number seven, yeah.
1: Uh, my number seven is seventeen's uh, Get Out by Jordan ah, Peele. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. What can be said about this film that we have not already said at length on our own episodes? Do uh, you tell? I think that what I will remember the most about this film, uh, outside of its like cultural impact, outside of just how... Well, it 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 commutes a lived experience into a uh, a scintillating like horror experience is how fully formed uh, Jordan Peele's career as a filmmaker came through with this one film. Like it's hard to imagine there was a time where he was solely thought of as just like a comedian or a skit or or, or, or a skit comic, and now he's being heralded as like the the apparent, the modern contemporary era apparent to like Alfred Hitchcock or something like that. That's pretty uh that's pretty impressive. And the film itself is very impressive and I like going back to like watching it. And, like I think that it is of the two films that he's made, uh, apart from, you know, uh uh Keanu. <laughs> uh I, I think Where does I,
0: Keanu rank in Get Out Us and Keanu? Uh I
1: would say that from, from To be fair, I from, think they always wrote that for, yeah, from top to bottom, I'd have to say uh, it's Get Out, Keanu, and us. I know that's kind of damning to us, but like,
0: no, I've seen all three, and I'd probably agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, also I,
0: that cat is adorable.
1: The, the cat is adorable, and like, I I can't remember what fucking joke there was. It was a joke when he was like taking a hit from a bong. He's talking about how sad he is about Keanu.
2: Yes, something
1: <laughs> about that. Like, there was a really good. Uh, there's a really good joke. I can't remember off the top thought my head. I have to rewatch it again. No,
0: like this is weird because I also don't remember the joke. Yeah. But I also know exactly what you're talking about yeah. because me and my mother laughed at it yeah. in the theater harder than like anybody. Uh, exactly. Cuz he cuz he's like crying, while, he <laughs> he's crying anyway. while
3: he's taking
1: a hit from yeah, his anyway, bomb. I, I know what you're
2: talking <laughs> about.
1: <laughs> it's like uh but yeah, Get Out is uh incredible if you haven't seen it yet, you should. That's my number 7. <sighs>
0: My number six is Keanu, uh, starring, no, (laughs) JK. My number six is actually a movie from 2010, going all the way to the beginning, uh, filmed by Lee Chang Dong, uh, Alex, no comment, this movie is called Poetry, Mm. uh, I think this is a wonderful film, uh, just a gorgeous kind of elegy to old age and how art can manifest from any walk of life and at any time and point of inspiration. And it chronicles uh, the daily tribulations of this old woman who, in her... At at the time in which she would finally find peace and, like, time to do things, because, you know, her uh, husband has passed, and... um, you know she's all by herself and she's no longer working um she's getting this kind of bout of creativity and and this desire to uh to to do a poetry class you know and it's, it's that kind of simplicity in that dream of just wanting to do that that's shattered by all these shackles that unfortunately is being uh voiced it upon her at the worst possible time, whether it's the familial bonds of having to take care of her grandson because her own daughter is not doing a great job at that because she's always working, not to mention the horrible uh, truth that she learns about her grandson and what he's complicit in, Uh, not to mention the daily battles that she's starting to have. Literally the day she signs up for a poetry class, she also finds out that, Uh, The same brain that is housing those bouts of creativity is now also uh, a nest for a burgeoning Alzheimer's diagnosis. And, and, you know, does any of these things have merit uh, and value uh, if they're just going to be kind of wiped away the next day and whatnot? Mm. And her search for that kind of truth and um, not only that, but then the, the intimacy she finds in another Uh, person her age uh, and whatnot, where it's kind of having to recalibrate your expectations for what you can and reasonably receive and seek out uh, at your state uh, in life. And I just think all walks of life in this movie is just gorgeous. I think the trajectory she goes on and as it subtly um, mirrors the young and naive uh girl that unfortunately commits suicide in the very beginning of the movie for a reason that will become explicit the more you uh the further into it into the movie you are um but her kind of childlike naivety is mirrored there within and I just think it's a gorgeous movie and um Uh, Every time I watch it, I just get new pleasures from some of the scenes. Uh, The scene where she goes to a community center, I can't remember the exact reason why she's there, but she's there for whatever reason, and then she finds a room where they do karaoke, but the machine's still on, so she's doing it, even though nobody's there and whatnot, and you don't there's kind of ambiguity as to whether she's doing it because she forgot where she was and she forgot like what time it is or anything, or if she just genuinely was seizing the moment and she doesn't care who's around because she's trying to create something for herself. Uh, yeah. And I feel like that's all over the movie and, and uh, the performances are spectacular. And man, that final scene, which I won't necessarily say the actions that are happening, but in which she has to make a choice regarding a family member uh and the shot that basically uh visualizes that choice being made as uh as she is for the first time taking control of her own life uh with not no regard for others but um without being at the expense of her own life as she so often did before it's just so gut-wrenching but also kind of hopeful at the same time
3: you know um and there are real, real positives to paying attention and, and really watching what foreign filmmakers are doing. You briefly mentioned in your top six of 2019, Gaspar Noé's uh, Climax. Yeah. But, man, um, poetry definitely included. But uh, for whatever reason, um, just from we were describing the, uh, the sexualized, yep. sexual things that are happening with uh, the main character in poetry... Uh, I, for whatever reason, was thinking back to the uh, film we saw, at Sundance Mammal, oh, um,
1: yeah.
3: with uh, Rachel Griffiths and yeah. uh, Barry Keoghan. Um, and It's weird to think, but people over 40 have sex I was lives. just going to say, um, foreign filmmakers seem to not have the stigma against only people under 30 can have sex. Yeah, or just people who look
0: like bottles. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: yep. And real people, uh, even in their older age, yep. experience these things and... I mean, for us watching it on screen, it's not that it's eye-opening or anything like that, but in terms of having seen it on film, it is refreshing because it is actually feels authentic. Yeah. So. I think
0: the worst thing about us watching that movie is that we watched it in a class. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, I know I love it, and I know you you know love it or even maybe like it or whatever but i feel like that's the worst first impression to a movie like that that i think slightly deserves a more i mean
3: the other problem too is that we watched it in a class where uh it was sandwiched in between rashomon and throne of blood yeah I mean, so it was like yeah. it was in kind of a weird wheelhouse and
0: that's what i mean like
3: contextually you're
0: thinking of what
3: you what you, class you're... is this this was a class with uh, your one of your mentors. Oh, yeah. yeah so we won't say it. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, no, but outside of divorce from that class, uh, I absolutely love the movie. I think it's phenomenal. And um, for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's called poetry it's by lee chang dong he's the guy who also made burning which came out a couple of years ago which a lot oh, of people love see that i know i bought it and i never actually watched it even though i need to see it because but
3: uh but poetry i i absolutely love yeah. very good number seven number six, six. Uh, gotcha <laughs> <laughs> nice well well played Thank you. uh number six on my list is quentin tarantino's Django unchained I thought this was a delightful film. Django! Uh, Django! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say uh, after this film, he's definitely taking a different direction uh, in his style and also, um, also... Well, not also, but in his style, in addition to that, he's also, I think, seen some of the criticism out there and actually made a... Real attempt at not addressing necessarily but acknowledging uh as his last two films have definitely i felt like been more um attempt at gravitas yeah yeah yeah, um that being said, uh I still think Django Unchained is pretty much a masterpiece and a very fun film to watch if racism can be fun, which it really can't um but this I think fighting racism yeah, can be fun uh this tells its story, also gives us very fun, wacky characters, um, but also has extremely serious moments that make the real horror of what's going on uh, in the slave trade, in the South, um, pre-Civil War. Palpable. I I was going to say just uh, horrifying because you have everything that is occurring on screen that we're seeing, that we have with our almost superhero main characters, but when the scenes that show racism and show all of the terribleness of slavery happen, they don't really pull punches and try to make it fun. Like, it is really a person being... <laughs> trying to make it fun. Well, No, trying try to try to, no, no, to, just, to, like, to dampen it, like just, from to,
1: ter- from the hot no, box uh, to I, getting I, pulled I, apart I, by I, dogs. I, I, it I just know a funny what phrase. He would do with that, but...
3: You know, uh, yes, Tar- know you Tarantino's mean. got yes. his his methods, yes. but when it comes to the real coming down to it, um, the Mandingo fighting scene is not pleasant, oh, and the yeah, hotbox is not pleasant, and the dog scene is not pleasant, and all of these show the real horrors of what the fuck is actually going on here, um, but at the same time, this has a very rewarding finale with Jamie Foxx just exploding the house as he rides away on a horse like um it's it's awesome. This is a really really great film.
1: Imagine that was Will Smith.
3: Yeah, I actually think he would I, have been okay in this,
1: but try not to. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think Jamie Foxx did such a great job.
0: I think it says a lot that uh, my mother who does not like violence let alone ultra violence. This is like the most violent movie she's ever loved. Mm. Not that she watches it frequently or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I took her to see it in the theater, and she was not only okay with it, but she was like... Happy about it. You went
1: multiple trips during the time of its theater. It was run. way too many. I saw you it stand s- the fuck out of that seven movie. times. Yeah. the
0: year it came out in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it I came was out going... in
1: December of that year. I think no, well, it was not summer December, release. Really? I yeah, I think
0: release. it was summer because I was seeing it in December as well. Uh, like it was still in or something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, that was a phase of my life in which I was like going to college, so I had so much time in between like classes and my job, which was nothing at the time, yeah. that I was just going to the theater all the time. So if I liked a movie, I would just go see it. Mm-hmm. I would never do that again, ever, with any movie. But I also don't regret it. Yeah. I just wanted to see it again.
3: And, and I don't blame you. It uh, has a lot of wonderful quips throughout um, and just extraordinary over-the-top performances by both Leonardo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy and also uh Christoph Waltz in the film, who actually won a second Academy Award for this, which uh was probably earned. Um that guy's been typecast in Hollywood, so that's too bad, but yeah. It is. yeah. Uh Django Unchained. Um I don't I don't I don't think it's the best film that Tarantino's done, um, personally, but I, I think it's it's one of his best and certainly highlights um, I think very much where he was as a filmmaker in that in that era. Yeah. Um and, and really I think a time when he passed the torch on to something different because even though his last two films then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and also Hateful Eight have clearly been his brand, um I think he's he's grown and changed a little bit as a filmmaker. So yeah. that being said, a number six on my list is Django Unchained.
1: Okay, number six on my list is 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ah, yes. Uh yes! Outside of being uh, undoubtedly one of the best superhero films of the past decade, I think that it's one of the best animated films of the past decade. I think that it definitely merits the distinction of being a before and after film. I think that uh... An entire generation of animators are already talking about the effect of this film, the impact of this film. And I am so excited to see where that generation is going to go after having seen this and, like, trying to, like, invoke those sort of lessons and those type of sensibilities because I just – I want more – films, not necessarily I don't not necessarily more Spider Man into the Spider Verse films, although I wouldn't mind uh, another Spider Verse film, obviously, but more films that lean into the affordances of like these sort of like hypercolored maximalism and just sheer like visual density of this film. Like the 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 finale of this film where it has like Miles facing off with uh Kingpin inside of the particle accelerator uh, I was like I have not seen anything as audacious and visually overwhelming since like the the climax of Akira like it's on par with that like with one of the goat animated films of its time so yeah you need to see this film if you haven't already uh it, it won an Academy Award. Like, that was a big surprise. It was a, not because oh it my, doesn't deserve it. It deserved it.
0: That was one of the few times when they actually got Best Animated Feature right. I thought right.
1: Yeah, yeah. like they had to. Like, man, imagine another fucking box troll situation. No, nothing against box trolls. Whatever. Uh, sure, <laughs> uh, sure. But yeah, my, box troll. That's like a Yeah, it is like a a lot of things. Uh, My number six uh, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You're like me. My name is Peter Parker.
0: My name is Penny Parker.
1: My name is Peter Parker.
3: (laughs) I was bitten by a radioactive pig. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams and I like to fight Nazis. A lot.
0: I'm from New York in the year 3145. I have a psychic link with a spider who lives inside
2: my father's robot. And we're best friends. <laughs> Forever.
3: Sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything.
1: Oh. I'm a photographer for the Daily Beagle. When I'm not pooching around, I'm working like a dog trying to sniff out the latest story. I frolic and I dance and I do this with my okay, pants and enough. my... So, uh,
0: how did you get here? Well, it's kind of a long story.
3: Maybe not that long.
0: Now, we're just trying to find a way home.
3: The only way home is back through that Collider gizmo. The only trouble is-
1: One of us has to stay behind and destroy it. I'll, I'll do, do it. it. I'm right, we are
0: at our top five of the decade
3: okay yep
0: (laughs) my number five is a film from the year 2014 it is directed by a man named paul thomas anderson Mm. and it is inherent vice Mm -hmm. uh i love this movie i've rewatched it religiously uh, through various states of consciousness, and I think it's fantastic. I literally like it more every time I watch it. Like sometimes I say that as like a catch-all, I'm like yeah, I notice new things, but like this is a genuine like my appreciation actually grows in esteem uh, every viewing, and and I think there's a good reason for that. I think it's uh, fantastically casted. Uh, I think it is doing such a challenging thing in actually adapting to something that is virtually uh, unfilmable prose and yet doing it so well. Um, but the entire ensemble here makes it work and the all the technical merits of it I think are fantastic from Johnny Greenwood's kind of atypical score uh, to the soundtrack itself, to the cinematography. Um, but there are so many little details here that get Uh, the story so right that it's one of those things where it's even though I said it's unfilmable it's like once these choices were made it almost became predestined to arrive in the screen like for example you know the addressing of like how would you get Thomas Pinchon's like actual prose to convey any real sense of meaning in the context of you know uh, a visual fluid uh, movement of audio video you know on the screen the answer is have joanna newsom of all people be uh sacrilege the or sortalidge of the narrator of some of his best passages in that movie and she overhangs throughout the entire movie in a very angelic and just awe inspiring presence and um the plot of this movie is one of those things where it's like, I know that's one of the things to get hung up on because it, on the one hand, makes no sense or it's extremely convoluted or whatever. And while I actually have come around on the idea that it's, quote-unquote, I don't actually think anymore that it's beside the point, I actually think the plot's pretty straightforward. It's just, it's not point A to point B, it's A to B to C to D to E to F to G, and it doesn't matter if you don't remember A by the time you're at L, you know what I mean, Mm what not. And I actually feel like that's actually what makes it one of the most American movies made in this decade because I've often found myself at a a crossroads where I'll be reading a news article about something or like politics (laughs) will be being discussed on the Twitter timeline or whatever, and I'll see an issue or I'll see something that's happening, and I'll be like, okay, what is the ground zero of like how this can even happen like some kind of injustice whether it's like gentrification or something like whatever and the fact that I personally and I know many other human beings do this Will like look at it and then go, you know what? I give up. Like I can't understand the the mechanisms at work here as to why this is legally possible and why this is allowed to come to fruition. Is I actually think what makes inherent vice all the more powerful in that respect because Doc, a character like Doc Sportello, is technically doing something good in the sense that he's trying to unearth something that is not right. And while it's motivated by love, it also has a sense of just kind of righteous crusade. And the more he picks it apart, the more he goes through a literal... Uh, cacophony of american evil whether it's kkk people or cults or uh you know just you know shady real estate developers and whatnot or bad cops and and the fact that he gets to go through all of this um and somehow they're all connected like maybe i've taken one hit too many but i don't think it's a jump to say that conspiracies are are sometimes true, you know, like sometimes the most evil thing you can think of is actually just the straightforward truth. And the only reason why it perpetuates is because it seems so fucking stupid or so uh, convoluted that no one wants to pull on that thread because that takes way too much work. Yeah. And for someone like Dr. Otello if the only reason or the only way you can get through it is by smoking, <laughs> then you know what? Uh, truth of power, man. Um, so I just, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's hilarious. I think it's so quotable. Uh, yeah. uh, I think it's got a great cast. I, that opening scene between um, uh, Catherine Watterson and, and Joaquin Phoenix is just a gorgeous short film in and of itself to the final moment of them driving off together. is I just think it's a spellbinding film. And I think it's so underappreciated because I understand the hesitant to truly... Grasp onto it because it is such a weirdly singular experience that it is not, you know, it's not, you're doing a lot of homework to have to watch it, so to speak, and follow along. But honestly, I just think if anyone truly watches it for the first time or wants to rewatch it, just the point is to go with it rather than, uh, be on top of it and uh and in that respect i think it's one of the greatest cinematic experiences i've had all decade so wonderful inherent vice from 2014 is my number
3: five good stuff uh (laughs) i enjoyed that on the rewatch even though i don't love it necessarily i have been meaning to go back to watch phantom threat again as i have not seen it a second time yep but um Looking forward to PTA's next feature as well. You know, I like that guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Speaking of people that Nick likes, uh, my number five is a Steven Soderbergh film. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. oh. I figured it out. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because at first I was
0: like, I don't have a Steven Soderbergh movie on my top ten. Yep. But now I know it.
3: What mine is? Yes. Okay. So my number five is Behind the Candelabra. Do it. Uh, It was a fabulous movie um, that I really was interested in seeing. When did that come out? That was 2013? 13, yeah. 14, yeah. Yep. Uh, And I was really interested in seeing it. One because I knew the production history of it, as it was really an elongated process. Um, a lot of which had to do with some, you know, hesitations because of the fact of Liberace being gay, uh, but also to, <laughs> also to, um, uh, with Michael Douglas, who had been casted long before production began, and he went through his entire. Um, Was it throat cancer or mouth cancer or what did he have? Throat. Okay. I believe, yes. Yeah. So. Which he got via Cutting Linguist. Yes. I've heard heard this many times uh, and it came directly from the horse's mouth. I'm
0: not just making a random joke. He said that in an interview. I am making a random joke, but
3: it's based on a real thing that he said.
0: Basically, he said if you go down on women, you will get throat cancer.
1: (laughs) I'm just. I, yeah. I know that I can't communicate that non-verbally, but I'm just like looking at Nick and just looking down at my phone. I'm just really giving that a, a pause because uh, I don't feel like it, it deserves any more. That's a very ba- ba- baby
3: boomer thing to say. Yeah, it's
1: a very, it's a very uh, uh, schoolyard, it's like a Junior Soprano, like a, the, it's, it's very much a, a, a schoolyard myth. Pass uh, between a bunch of boys when oh, Edie yeah.
0: Falco finds out that he's uh, he goes down on whatever and he's like what no men don't do that and he's like oh really Cause I, I heard you're really into ZD. and like
3: there's like a whole code for it anyway great scene in this uh, yes lots of great scenes in that show uh, anyways behind the candelabra I went through an elongated process which I I had followed on you know for many years actually before it actually came to fruition um, but also too huge fan of las vegas history um so that played into my interest in this and this film 100% delivered uh to what i was hoping it would be necessarily would be but also at the same time what you know it ended up wanting to be um michael douglas is giving just a very over-the-top performance as Liberace, which I think is the only way anyone could have ever played it. Um, But I think the relationship between he and Matt Damien's character, Scott Thorson, is really what drives this this film home. Um, And that's the driving force behind how this film was made, is this is what Scott Thorson's... what his side of the story is, whatever truth that may be. Um, (laughs) But at the same time... This is a pretty fascinating view upon a guy who honestly is just pimped out of a um, bar by Scott Bakula, who is in just absolutely the scout for yeah, as you new say, ass. Yeah, clearly a recruiter. Yeah, he's he's looking and checking for new young people who may be gay and bringing them to Liberace for him to do with what he will. Um, he has uh, Cheyenne Jackson um, who was recently in the Watchman uh, show What's This character named Billy some Billy Letterwood I think Yeah okay that sounds right uh, actually he has probably my favorite moment of the of the entire film uh, it comes early on when he's eating some sort of some sort of dish that has ketchup in it uh, and Liberace says, something like, if you get ketchup on your sequins, or uh, I'm gonna be very, angry, or something like that." And he just like, like anyone would give a shit. Just the way he responds is just uh, so. He's very over. Oh the, yeah, the show and the... Um, also he's married to a woman uh, mm. in the in the background, so he wants someone to take him away and bring him back to his wife. Uh, Everything happening with that is fascinating, but then we have Matt Damon's character you get involved, and and we see really the air of the ways of anyone who has involvement with people of power, uh, of them just being almost like engrossed. Di- by... Like dish
1: towels, you just use them up and then you're
3: well. Just throw away. But if you're the person who's on the receiving end, uh, especially in this time period, it was very glamorous it was very exciting mm-hmm. it was he was you know he was buying him station wagons and rings this is great he's buying him a station wagon with piano keys on it Oh. Uh, um the <laughs> the set design is so tacky yeah uh great. and so perfect so period perfect yeah um there's actually a lot of really 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 good performances in this film and not just douglas and matt damon and a lot
0: of random cameos i mean it like did dan Aykroyd is in it yep
3: but i mentioned scott Bakula, who's very good in it dan Aykroyd is in it debbie reynolds is actually giving a really solid performance uh as liberace's mother who's very um Happy that he's playing piano, but also unhappy that she's still living. I think, um, and she's and Michael Douglas also wants her to die. Uh, Rob Lowe actually, I believe, won a Golden. Yeah, I was going to say he was nominated at least, uh, and he is in this film for like five and a half minutes, but he's giving to this be fair, really, it's very yeah, it's memorable. Yeah, he's giving this super over the top performance. Um, I, I guess what I'm Nikki getting Kat? at, yeah. And he got um, pretty a, good a in this, too. Soderbergh yeah. player,
0: because he's also in the Limey, but I uh, brought him back for this.
3: Yeah, but he's got that sort of hustler outfit on the entire time as he's uh, Matt Damon's drug dealer, and he ends up pretty much living with him at the end. And It and, oh, feels very much like Boogie Nights, where like yeah. Mark, where Mark Wahlberg's at his ends or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty, yeah. pretty perfect of how it actually ends up being for Scott Thorson in this film. Um, but just... The set design here, a lot of the production design is so, so exquisite, so well done. Um, And couple that with really, really just, I feel like accurate portrayals of what it was to be a celebrity in this era and to be someone of influence who was just horribly taking advantage of everybody around him. And they were just there to service him. Uh, and it is just icky and gross, but also hilarious. Uh, this is super quotable of a movie, as a lot of Soderbergh films are. But this one in particular is, and it was made it very difficult, actually, as every time I saw Ant-Man or Ant-Man 2, and you have Michael Douglas saying, Scott, I'm like, man, that guy is trying to get some poon. Oh, uh, oh boy. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Nick.
0: Just, I don't often hear "poon."
3: Yeah, it's not really a 2020 term, but no. I
0: mean, yeah, I'm not saying I'm judging you. No, that's fine. I mean, I am, but <laughs> for a lot of other reasons. Oh,
3: good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I I genuinely love this film. It is wonderful. I go back to this quite often, um, and and it is a, a one. It's really too bad. Um, Not because of Netflix, because I don't really think Netflix was even doing anything like this in 2013, where they were releasing films, Uh, but this film really got blacklisted from having theatrical releases, because it was too gay, Um, so it ended up being HBO, I mean... And I didn't even (laughs) watch
0: it, like, right away,
3: because it was dropped on HBO, Mm -hmm. like, that's just kind of sad, but... it's a it's a wonderful film and a film I I consider to be on the cusp of being a masterpiece actually just because it does really resonate with me of being this ultra. Closeted.
2: Oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> thank you.
3: <laughs> yes. What were you gonna say? It wasn't gonna be that, but great.
0: By the yes. way, I just want to point out how crazy it is that I have no Steven Soderbergh in my top ten. That is. But I feel like if I looked at the actual films he made in this decade, they're not as, like, I love them all. He also
3: was retired for, like, two and a half years. True. So, and he did so great TV a, work. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. 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 So, anyways, uh, I'm a huge fan. It resonates with me because of the Las Vegas angle, uh, I was going to say. But thank you for taking it that way, Nick. Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> So, Behind the Candelabra is number five on my top ten of 2010-2019. Okay.
1: Now, Jack, I want to talk to you about doing some surgery on Scott here. What? Fine. What
0: would you like me to do with Scott? I want you to
1: make Scott look like this. Can you do that? Oh, I see. Oh, yes, I think I can do what you want. He's going to need a nose job. And I'm going to have to restructure his cheekbones and his chin with silicone implants. But it's not impossible. But first, we got to slim him down. I have a terrific diet. The California diet. Guaranteed loss of 15 pounds in four weeks. My number five is 2017's Blade Runner 2049 Mm -hmm. by Denis Villeneuve. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of a film that... seems more dead on arrival than <laughs> one that in that, that one that is that aspires to follow up one of the most influential science fiction films of the 20th century i think that arguably like star wars is a franchise film star wars is star wars and but blade runner has become the the visual, like, cinematic Urtex of an entire subgenre of fiction, which is cyberpunk and predates cyberpunk. And it's just how how do you follow up something like that? How do you actually create a continuation of it? And I think that Denny Villeneuve, like to his credit, he gave it a pretty damn good shot. Um when I first saw the film, I was left a little bit cold by it. But upon subsequent viewings, I think that the uh, the visual form language of that film is a a very savvy continuation of what was so influential in the original Blade Runner. I don't think that it's going to go on to be as like influential as the original. I don't think that it possibly could, just for the fact of precedence. Uh, <laughs> but I think that it entirely makes sense and is plausible within its own continuity and Really, I, I admire that film for just the fact that it shows that wanton like, ultra-capitalism eventually does met out its own consequences. That this world that seemed to burn so bright that we would call it hell on Earth eventually freezes over. And now it basically shows a world that is a husk of its former self and that the people who – have to eke out a, 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 a an existence on the face of that planet are really just waiting to die. It's very bleak, but in that bleakness there is sort of a an, an a silver lining of hope that you are able to at least like eke out your own existence in your own life and meaning whether you are human or not. So that's why I like Blade Runner twenty forty nine.
0: I will say uh, Blade Runner in 2049 in this decade is one of my biggest turnarounds in which I was not a fan of it when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Part of that's because I'm actually not a big fan of the original. I like it for yeah. sure, but I I've never considered it like one of my go-to classics or anything like that. Yeah. So I was already kind of predisposed to be like, we'll see what this is whatever. Yeah. But I now not only like Blade Runner 24 and I pretty much love it I also prefer it to the first film and I very much uh, appreciate what Denis Villeneuve was able to do with it.
1: I think that there are definitely improvements in Blade Runner 2049 over the original Blade Runner. I know that's sacrilege among fans of the original but I think that this has a far more um, parsable through line because Blade yeah. Runner feels like a it is a neo-noir detective film about nothing
0: yeah not to mention if you actually take any noir whether it's neo-noir or yeah. sci-fi noir or whatever a lot of times the plots are the worst part of noir films yeah because they're just boring s- set pieces of like oh now i found out this now i found out that now right. I fu- whatever
1: so that's I, not what blade runners like at all it's like it's it's just this sort of these events sort of, like, happen to collapse on top of one another because he happens to just be within the vicinity of the people that he's hunting. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, I love Plays of
3: the I actually five. also prefer it to the original. Yeah. yeah. My number four
0: of the 2010s is... I kind of did a half lie earlier, because I said I had no Steven Soderbergh, and that's technically true, but technically not, Mm. because I have Magic Mike XXL, which is not Soderbergh directed, but he shot it, and he edited it, it and clearly influenced it, so uh, this is my Soderbergh uh, entry, so to speak. I love Magic Mike XXL. Um, it's one of the most pure, fun experiences I've had at the movies all decade, and I'll rewatch it at infinitum. Um, I just think it is such an entertaining movie about dudes being dudes, <laughs> unlike Toussaint's example uh, in our 2019 recap.
1: <laughs> uh, need more sailor shanties, man. Yeah. Um, need more dead gulls. Yeah. But this came,
0: okay, Magic Mike XXL came out in the decade, and it predates this quote-unquote movement, but it came out in the same decade in which, you know, uh, Me Too came out and whatnot, but Magic Mike didn't need a hashtag to be quote-unquote woke. It uh, Magic Mike XXL came out, and it entertained and validated female pleasure and the gaze and desires in a way that just is so rare in cinema while also being a dude movie like I don't know how it did it but it did and the fact that it is so charitable towards every single audience member of any size color and whatnot and does it with no hint of either shame or condescending wokeness um, and it's just able to actually pull it off uh, seamlessly it is like a strip show act it's like I shouldn't you know I'm watching it and I know I'm being tricked but also like you know what I'm gonna get into it and I think everybody in the cast is fantastic. This is like the is most that Amber Heard, who's in this. She is, and she's yeah. actually good in it. Yeah, compared to some of the things she's had to do, which I actually think she's good in and of herself. Mm-hmm. But she unfortunately has get straddled with a lot of like hot girl roles that have nothing to offer.
3: Yeah, I was just trying to remember if she was the main female because it was her, she is, yeah. and then it was was it Andy McDowell? Yes, the... Yeah, as okay. the the owner of that house, the Glass Slipper. Yes, yeah. did you Peggy? Hey, at least they didn't bring Alex Pettifair back for this. That is
0: correct. No, they literally trimmed all the dead weight uh, with him and his sister in that movie, which is unfortunate, but whatever. Um, But, and even Matthew McConaughey, who actually, obviously he's actually great in Magic Mike, but he has no place in what this movie is actually trying to do, obviously, so they didn't shoehorn that in. Um, But... This movie is just so joyous, so raucous, and I absolutely love it. it. I mean, if you don't have a smile on your face when Joe uh, Magnello, Magnello is inside the convenience store hmm. dancing to Backstreet Boys for the just for a smile uh, from the <laughs> the scowling uh, you know clerk, I just you know I don't want to know you and I don't want to talk to you. And I just think one of my favorite things about this, before I pass it off, is that. The final act in which we actually spend 30 minutes with the final dances and everyone gets to do their own dance, and how that's actually a succinct wrap up of each of their extremely minute but still profound character arcs is so well done uh, and just so good that it completely earns this cheesy DJ Khaled "All I Do Is Win" ending, and uh, I just I I've never had an experience in a movie that made me feel this good not for having watched it but for having transcended the fourth wall and at least validating the human experience of having uh you know desires and and just being okay with things like surface pleasures and what they can tell yourselves about yourselves or about others and whatnot and i just think it's phenomenal i just There should be more movies that are this low stakes because it's at that point when sometimes you can get to actual, like, I don't know. not not, I wouldn't say necessarily drama, but like human truths. I mean, the scene in which Matt Bomer serenades the one uh, girl because she says that her husband never lets her have sex with the lights on. and, And I like how... He just looks at her and he goes, "You need to tell him if that's not cool." Like, you know, like and he just says it so matter-of-factly, and then he asked her what song she liked, and then just starts singing it. Like, that was a moment for me when, like, I was like, "Oh boy, I don't know where I am on the spectrum, but I'm starting to lean a little bit in the other direction that I've usually felt." <laughs> Man, Bomer's got it going on.
3: Yeah, um, it's such a s- small part of this film, and actually it was probably an easy thing to write in, but. Um, To what you're talking about, I also too uh, like how Joe Magliano um, has this huge, long monologue about how he doesn't want to be a fireman anymore and how he always had to be a fireman and he doesn't want to be a fireman anymore. Um, And it you're not a fireman. It's it's clear that that was a lawn fires, (laughs) lawn bent up thing with him, even though it is somewhat played for comedy. it's just it really does add to the joy of the final scene too of them just doing what they enjoy doing and being the the opposite of what and it's tough because um professional dancers strippers, whatever you want to call them um there's such a difference between you know what we see in this film for male strippers and what the stigma is oh. for. Female the stigma or and
0: probably the reality. I mean, yeah. Like, as far as like, there's a there's definitely a kernel of truth in the reality of how we present female strippers, which is yeah. that males are just awful people. So what we want is just awful shit. Um, but yes, no, the the difference in that is less, at least the way Magic Mike presents it.
3: Well, it, the way Magic Mike presents it, a, it's probably true but i mean i don't necessarily i I don't know but i'm assuming that a lot of male strip places are not what we see in magic mike double xl um at least in terms of what we see at like the house that they go to Right, right um but at the same time it is much more of a enjoyable experience instead of a creepy You know, looking from the bushes, being like, hey, what's your phone number? Oh, yeah. Like, ugh. Well, most people
0: Um, I've talked to, females who have gone to male strip clubs Mm -hmm. have said that, and who have also been into uh, female strip clubs, have said that when they've gone to a male strip club, it has been a fun time, and Mm. it is a celebration and a party and whatnot, Mm. whereas... When they've had to have gone into a female strip club, it is a depressing time, and yeah. it is a and i'm like yeah i I, I completely buy that and, yeah um okay. one other shout out mm. I want to give about the movie is that it also there's been some great writing about how it's one of the few modern films that actually lights up uh black bodies in a mm. visually uh representative way instead of because so many times a white filmmaker will not actually set any lightings or gels or anything up there. If they have African-American actors on their movie any differently when they're on the screen than when the white people are on screen, despite the fact that all skin tones require different lightings and whatnot. And the entire sequence set at uh, Jada Pekin Smith's house is lit so gorgeously and with actual uh that in mind. In and you can see it in the blue and red gels that uh just bask over these black Adonises. <laughs> um and I just love that, that 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 kind of care and thought is put into uh every scene of this movie. So uh yeah, that is my Soderberg choice of the year, which is that As much as I love Soderbergh, I also love the generation
3: that will be influenced, hopefully, by him. Hmm. Speaking of influence, this was uh, this was kind of an early performance for Donald Glover, wasn't it? At least in terms of mainstream.
0: Yeah, well, he was on the show Community for about four or five years, but it was probably the first film he was in. Okay, uh, at least in a big role mm-hmm. uh, or at least a minor role or whatever. Uh, that scene though is one of my favorites when he's in the car well, they're all in the car mm-hmm. and there are actually three different conversations happening and the sound mixing is actually capturing all three conversations simultaneously. Somehow nobody is talking over each other and yet nobody is also waiting for other mm-hmm. conversations to die down. And, the sound mixing is never ever telling you which conversation is quote unquote more important or more uh, pressing to listen to. And that is a microcosm for the entire film, which is that everybody's arcs are happening simultaneously and in some of the most profoundly impressive ways uh, that never called attention to itself. So Hmm. magic Mike XXL is my number
3: four. Wonderful. Uh, Number four on my list is actually Wes Anderson's grand Budapest hotel. Uh, Today it was announced that the Criterion Collection will be putting it out officially. Oh wow. Look at that. We all knew it was coming. Yeah. But now it's official. Very good. Uh this is just uh the best work that I've seen Wes Anderson put out. Um I know a lot of people who are very big fans of his, Nick included. Um, really do love this film but don't necessarily think it's the best work he's done. Um, And maybe it's because it is definitely a little bit more mainstream, but I um, very much enjoyed seeing this and it really turned me more into a Wes Anderson fan, which, uh, you know, is is something that's great for anything. It, whatever uh, it takes to get you there. And now, uh, I feel like I've seen almost all of his films. I think the only... I haven't seen his first one, Bottle Rocket, and I haven't seen The Life Aquatic. I guess that's not true. I haven't, also haven't seen the Darjeeling Limited, but... You've seen um,
0: the three that most people consider to be his yeah, weakest. I and, I,
3: and I've, I've, you know... Not I've, me, though! Well, uh uh-huh. um, But Grand Budapest Hotel... Uh, is just a wonderful ride it is a extremely funny movie um very dark humor but also very just real humor throughout um the just somehow having the narration sneak in talking about um flowers in the in a box that was the size of a child's coffin um, I don't know how you write that shit um, but Wes Anderson put together a wonderful script with this um, his films are always wonderfully casted but this one was at the top of the heap for me in terms of way the casting was done um, Ray Fines perfectly casted as Mr. Um, Gustav uh, along with uh, a first and unfortunately not last performance of Tony Raffioli <laughs> Tony Rivoli uh as so uh, weird because he's so good in that movie yeah but that spider-man role he's been in is not so hot oh um this is a somewhat early role for saoirse ronan who all i just saw today has four oscar nominations already on her career and she's only 25 pretty good So that's pretty impressive um and this movie uh has the different layers to it which you only really spend most of the time in the time of the hotel's prominence uh the timeline uh not timeline but really the era uh in which uh, monsieur gustav is alive um but you have the four different time periods that we go throughout the film um and it adds such great depth to the movie as it makes the whimsical nature that you are seeing feel real and authentic and and you're seeing it through the perspective of the reader who you see at the very beginning who's reading the story about the author who is reading the story telling the story about the hotel owner who's telling the story about the the person who is the concierge at the hotel like it just um it just adds so many different layers to the story being told and how it turned into this ridiculous legend of this person who's honestly was probably just a fucking guy who worked at a hotel. Um, but it is this magical story about this murder and this terrible character who's wonderfully played by Adrian Brody who calls someone the F word. And I'm not talking about fuck. Um, (laughs) it's, it's, fuck, yeah, uh, it's it's just a romp. It's a a great movie, and um, it's it's one of the first movies that I would say that myself and my wife Emily truly shared together that we both loved very much. Uh-huh. Um, and we just previously watched this again about a week ago, um, and we both just laughed hysterically through most of the film. Um, but also too, this film has some, and that's one of Wes Anderson's hallmark. He's got some great, super deep moments in this film that are really sad, um, and and really go all the way to the other side of the spectrum. So yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel just just a wonderful picture and, and um, really to me the highlight of Wes Anderson's career so far.
0: And it kickstarted Tilda Swinton under heavy makeup.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm,
0: yeah. Uh, no, but it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. I love you. I know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny, it's it's great, and it's um it's just it's I don't wanna say shocking. I don't think that's the right word. But I, I mentioned the Adrian Brody moment, but there's quite a bit in this film, just watching it again. That's a you,
0: trademark too though, as far as uh kind of injecting this like weirdly puerile crassness. Into something so picturesque and uh, storybook, mm-hmm. and whatnot, uh,
3: and he's so good at that. Yeah, and it was wonderful here. So yeah, uh, huge fan. And uh, number four on my list is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay,
1: number four on my list is 2012's Holy Motors. Eh? Yeah, I remember watching this. My uh, top twenty, what? just outside of my top ten. Yep, I remember watching this with uh, with Nick over his house. Hey. And doing? boy, was that a fucking experience! Because that film, I've only watched it once, and yet it still sticks out in my mind as one of the most maniacally inventive and entertaining and amorphous film-going experiences I've had in the past decade. It's just a marvel. I love, I love trying to to follow the the the, the lines of what is going on in that film. This guy just like starting out his day, just going to his job, getting in the back of his limousine and morphing into all these different characters for appointments and then somehow having rendezvous with people and people dying and, like, all this other shit, this chaos just constantly just consuming this man's life. He seems to be, like, living other lives, like, alongside his own life, and it's just, I, it's... It's baffling, and it's so incredible, in that ending uh, is yeah. just... Uh, after all that, after- and you
0: still think that there's no way that the movie could somehow surprise you. Exactly, and it, and and it does. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure.
1: Oh, okay, this is... Well, I guess this is something in this universe then. Yep. Um, yeah, I... It. it there's it, also some... Oh, sorry. No, continue.
0: I was going to say, despite the fact that it's so crazy and chaotic and manic, and there's weird just detours or whatever. Yeah. There's also some great moments of like uh, I would say minute things, like where things aren't that weird, but it's weird that we're spending time on it. Right. Like the um, the, motion, the context of the, the motion capture. Sequence.
1: I was thinking about that. Yeah. I was thinking about that and L. Like, I don't know what the fuck it is with French cinema, but they have just the weirdest conception of what the fuck video games are. Hmm. Like, it's just they they, it's so they they don't know what the fuck video games are. And at the same time, they know them better than anyone else. Yes. <laughs> and that is bizarre. Yeah. Uh, or the,
0: I was going to say, the two musical interludes as well, which yeah. literally pretty much exists only to just be entertaining. Oh, yeah. It's, it's
1: weird. Yeah. Yeah. um. Number four, Holy Motors. Holy shit! It's a great
3: movie. <laughs> yeah, we a, gotta
0: watch that. As I was gonna point. say, I've still never watched it. We so. should do
1: an episode on it. Actually, okay. I
0: definitely think that would be fun at yeah. some
1: point. Yeah, for sure.
3: Okay.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm game. You could yeah. very much hate it, but you're gonna want to talk about
1: it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right.
0: Good to know. Yeah. Uh, the number three.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My number three. Let me make sure I got it up here. Oh my goodness, Prometheus.
1: Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that shit out of my face. My number
0: three is a film from 2013. It is the film I have rewatched the most in this decade, and it is Coherence mm. by James Word Burkin. Okay. Damn. Uh, I think Letterboxd has told me I've watched it 12 times okay. s- since 2013, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It it's funny. I looked at the trajectory of when I watched it because it tells me the dates. And it seems that every time I rewatch it, I always rewatch it like a week later Mm. because it's like I'll get the itch of like like I could go maybe a year without watching it or something. But then if I watch it, I have to like rewatch it again within the same week or something because it's pretty short and because it's so heady and whatnot. I almost feel like every time I experience it, I'm like, okay, but I'm going to watch it one more time just to see if that lines up or whatever. And then I'll put it on the shelf for a year and I'll get that itch again. I I absolutely love Coherence. It's it's a fantastic chamber sci-fi drama. Um, you know, and we've talked about it a bit. We never done an episode or anything like that, but we've talked about it a bit on here. Um and everything about it is pretty much tailor-made for me. Um it's got white people. <laughs> Uh, but the whole thing that it sets in one room, people are talking about quantum physics, and there are temporal <laughs> shenanigans happening uh, amongst very uh, improvised, quote unquote, realistic. To some people probably insufferable dialogue uh like that's extremely my shit and the fact that I think not only does it do that but it actually does it extremely well uh just never ceases to amaze me i I think I've listened to the commentary twice
2: mm-hmm. like
0: it's just it's just endlessly entertaining. I absolutely love that I've seen this movie so many times that I've actually noticed mistakes because this movie, uh, not famously but notedly, was filmed in like five days at the director's house and he basically had them yeah, over for dinner. Say, for,
3: for a budget that's less of the cost of a Kia, right? Yes. He
0: didn't want to say the number for union reasons, yeah. but he said that. And, yep. mm-hmm. and the movie itself is improvised to the point where he actually gave his cast members note cards. So like, while he worked with them for what their characters were, nobody knew what the plot of the the movie was until the scene itself played out and his co-writer is the only care who also plays a character in the movie is the only character who was involved with the script or i should say the storyboard uh at all so he was there to try to help some things move forward or backwards or whatever but in general the other uh seven or so participants Played this, it's like you're watching an actual improvised, like, you know, murder mystery party. Not that there's a murder, but where you invite people over and you give them cars and you say whatever. And to the point where he would also start to mess with his actors for drama reasons, where he would say, okay, before this scene, you're going to try to leave, okay? So just go out the door and say you're going to go to the other house or whatever. Then he would tell that character's girlfriend, if anyone tries to leave, don't let them. So the other actor has no idea that someone's been instructed to stop them no matter what. And it's up to that actor to essentially either give up in the face of that or to you know to move forward. And there's so many moments of like that where you can see its true spontaneity um uh in the face of this kind of improvised acting, and yet they're all keeping it incredibly straight, and in which that's kind of mind blowing to me that there's a lot of heady philosophical quantum physics stuff happening, and yet, for the most part, they keep it all straight. And one of my favorite things, though, is that during the centerpiece, where they all start really hashing out what they think is happening, it's kind of in the middle of the movie. Um, One of my favorite things is that, and I listened to the commentary because it kind of bugged me for a second, but they get it wrong. Like, in... The dialogue they're having, they're they're saying something and it's almost factually wrong to the point where even the movie doesn't play out like that. And in the commentary, the guy goes, so in this scene, they're explaining what's happening and it's almost weird because it's almost like they're explaining it to the audience even though technically what they're actually doing is talking to themselves because they didn't know any of this was going to happen to begin with. So they're actually trying to figure it out. And the director said that one of his favorite parts of this is that they get it wrong and he actually appreciated that because it's... Because they were having a real conversation and because that's the conversation they would have had. And he goes, I didn't need them to spell it out for the audiences, nor if nor is it the fact that if they say something, then that must be the concrete script that they follow. And so he goes, there are a few, you know, whatever. And so once I kind of put that out of my head, I kind of chalk up any of the weird uh, – Inconsistencies up to that kind of whatever, which is that, technically speaking, there is no right answer to any of this because it's a weird science experiment, you know, quantum physics thing. Um, but the fact that he just had fun with these actors, I, I, I just absolutely love it as a production, and I just think it's one of the most entertaining movies I've ever seen in my life, and I can rewatch it any day of the week. Um, I think the thing I was most happy about was that I heard about this movie. I heard that there was going to be a movie that dealt with this kind of topic that was going to be set in one place. And from the moment I heard about it, I was so excited for it that I also thought it was probably going to disappoint me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it actually ended up, like for better or for worse, it was exactly what it was billed as. So for that reason alone, um, I think if you've never seen Coherence before... You should at least give it a try. Um, I think for the most part, anyone I've recommended to at least enjoyed watching it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's fantastic.
3: Yeah. I uh, was very close to putting a, not a, not really close, but it was in the running (laughs) to be on the edge of my list. Uh, another film that is not exactly like this but oh, well, somewhat similar uh, and that was a fabulous film called another earth um that was just i think it was a sundance film it yep. was fantastic um,
0: similar low concept
3: high sci-fi yep. type thing Yep. yeah yep. has a great ending uh it's a very very good film yep. so but yes coherence uh even though i haven't revisited it probably since the second time we watched it together yep. um I'm I'm still a fan, and I'm someday I'd like to watch it again. It's, so, ironically, James Ward Burkett gets a shout out in your letterbox profile to this
0: day. Yeah, yeah, because you said something about you don't care if it's a big budget of this or the low budget of a James Ward oh, Burkett film.
3: Oh, look at that! Yeah, Well, I haven't I clearly haven't read that. In I was, a while. I've,
0: somehow I read that like the other day, and I'm like, I wonder if he knows it still says it. Not <laughs> because of like you would not stand by it, but because I'm like, I don't think he would have randomly name dropped James Ward Burkett in like six years no yes yeah,
3: so. no anyway yeah. that's okay it It's it stands up though yeah. obviously so huh, look at i need to hear my profile again here <laughs> it's actually kind of long it's way too long but that's all right uh number three on my list is uh actually a film that i would say i'd actually probably rewatch more than uh Maybe not my top film, but um, more than almost anything on my list. It's a film that for whatever reason, uh, and and actually when I was doing my list, this started at number like seven or eight. And the just more I thought about it, the higher it rose on my list and ended up where it uh, ultimately ended up at number three. Um, but it's a film that really highlights what I did with my list, which is films that I do think are absolutely exceptional. But also what I just personally love as a film Um, and this film is really exactly that a film that I always for whatever reason just keep coming back to and keep being fascinated by um, and just keep watching and that is uh, the 2015 film Steve Jobs Hmm. which is number three on my list Um, this movie is always interesting to me because of the inclusion of the just frenetic dialogue uh, that was written for this film by um, Aaron Sorkin Uh, wonderful performances here especially from Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs who's giving one of the best performances of the decade in my opinion in this film Um, great acting from other people including Kate Winslet uh, Jeff Daniels all the way down to um, like John Ortiz I believe his name is who plays the journalist who's here every now and then Um, but this is Stolberg Yes, he is in here uh, playing a, a punching bag for the most part and oh. obviously a pretty solid performance from Seth Rogen as well uh, as Steve Wozniak. But this this film is, is always, to me, really, really fun to watch. Um, I feel like these are the kind of people that I'm always most intrigued by, which is terrible, which is these super smart super flawed people who um have this just unbearable sarcastic um personality um where part of Steve Jobs earlier on and actually later in the film uh is he's, he's a, just a terrible person for the most part um and the way he treats both his friends, his coworkers, his reports, his bosses, his family members, his actual friends, whatever, is pretty much just trying to destroy himself. Um, But also, to how well this film connects what Apple was doing in its previous life to what it ended up doing today um, is is really, really incredible. Um, And super relatable, too, because it's fun to watch a film about a company that existed in what they were doing really prior to what made them what they truly are. Like Apple is one of those companies right up there with like Amazon and Google as a staple of modern American, I don't know if we want to say industry, but American business. Uh, and, They were really big then, too, but they completely collapsed and were, like, on the brink of being out of business. Um, And just the the fascinating viewpoint of this guy who comes in, who who really is, for the most part, a genius, coming in and and playing the orchestra and, you know, managing people into their best, even if it makes them terrible people. Um, And it's just incredible to watch that happen yeah incredible to watch that happen because you see somebody who knows how to get the most out of people while not knowing anything about how to get the best out of people um and that i already mentioned uh, the line that i love the most from uh, rush which is, is for sure my my favorite quote of the year um but uh seth rogan delivers my second favorite quote of the year uh when he walks off from his final conversation in a you know setting where everybody is there to listen to them arguing about something so should be so minor as a mention during to the
0: acknowledge the yeah just the
3: acknowledgement of what people's work has been done for your company and not wanting to have new products soiled with these losers basically who ruined the company by making this product to put them on the map um but the idea of him telling him that you can be you can be gifted and decent at the same time is just like damn mm-hmm. so it yeah. it's just a oh it's just a really really good film and i it is my Shawshank redemption at this point like if it is on i am watching it to the conclusion from yeah. wherever I jump on at so it's a really, great movie yeah. I, I love it as well it's 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 wonderful it's got wonderful pacing super quick I mean it's not I wouldn't compare it with something like Uncut Gems but in terms of the idea of it just being just start to finish just there's a quip at different moments there's a random line about not wanting Apple to become a, viewed as a Batman villain and I'm just like what? who came up with that shit? It's just so random, but um, it's just great. I love Steve Jobs. It's a great film, wonderfully directed. Uh, Danny Boyle's God, he's so hit or miss. That he guy is. may has made some of the some of the weakest crap of the last twenty years, but he's also done some really good work. So. Yeah, didn't he direct Yesterday? He did. I think so? Oh, yeah, that's yeah.
0: Unfortunate. Yeah, Danny Boyle only really. <laughs> Bleeds through in like two scenes in that movie, I and mean, then the rest of it is very well directed. But there's only like the one moment when I'm like, oh, No, with, no, where he puts the like the up video up, on, on the, the screen. Wall. Yeah, and like, like ship. stop it,
3: <laughs> cut yeah. that shit if, like, out.
0: Someone walked out of the editing bay for like 10 minutes and he was able to put that in there. Like. <laughs> someone came back in and was like, What are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. Were you looking at porn? No. Were
1: you putting right. rocket ships? No. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Uh, so number three on my list is Steve Jobs. So my number three is also my number one for the year, and that is 2019. Uh... <laughs> so it's
0: also my number one. Yeah. Like... He also
1: hasn't seen it. You <laughs> know, it's uh, 2019's uh, Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. All right. I don't. Uh, I haven't listened back to uh, the episode that you guys have done on this yet, mm-hmm. so I don't know what has already been said about it. But what a fucking film! Honestly, like just. What a what a constantly well orchestrated film from beginning to end. I fucking love this movie. Like I don't know how this could not end up on my best of not not, not only my best of the year but my best of the decade. Like honestly, it's just so deeply affecting and so just. Ah, it's so well-acted. It's so well-orchestrated. I love it. I fucking love it. I 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 wish I could articulate it better, but, like, fuck it. That's just what it is right now. Um, yeah, I'll have more stuff to say about my my final two, but my number three is Parasite.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you think if you ever listened to the episode, just because I feel like that was one of my favorite episodes that I've been on, not because you weren't there, oh. but because I felt like... There was a vibe where most of us were on a roll,
3: yeah,
0: and it actually gelled well. So, So. yeah,
3: I mean, it does help. uh, And I I noticed this on our Irishman episode; it really does help when somebody brings notes. Yeah, true. Um, Which Dan 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 had a notebook full, which is which is great. But sure did. Yeah, we we had a lot of things to talk about, and that movie makes it easy to talk about too. So there's a lot there. So absolutely. Moving on to number two, Nicholas.
0: My number two. is a 2011 film by Asghar Fahadi, A Separation. Uh, This is one of the greatest dramas ever made. Um, Asghar Fahadi, the writer, is just one of the greatest dramatists working right now. Um, His scripts are impeccably crafted uh, in a way of creating these... Situations that are so rife with tension and emotion that it becomes sometimes unbearable to watch, not because the actions are necessarily negative, but because. You feel like the walls are closing in on all characters, no matter what side they're on, because all of their choices are having consequences that they couldn't possibly have fathomed, and yet have a clear line of sight from the point of origin of which they made them. And uh, A Separation is easily his masterpiece. He made quite a few films uh, before, and he made quite a few films uh, later on in the decade after, and they're all great. But A Separation truly is... Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to top it, and I don't. nobody should ever be expected to when I think it's as good as it is. I mean, I think it's an actual masterpiece. Um, but this story being uh, one of this couple in Iran who are going to get uh, a divorce, the problem is in Iran, to get a divorce, both parties have to agree. And it's not so much that they don't think that they should, sh- You know, they disagree on the fact that they should be married, but because they disagree on what to do with the child, neither one will budge on uh, making this official. Because of one of them, the father of the family, has ties to his own father who's uh, ill and old and living in and he can't take him out of the country or really anywhere, and the mother wants to take uh, the child and one daughter between them to uh, I believe it's America, uh, but take, him, take her out of the country in general uh, to get a better life and a better education. And the conflict therein is, you know, the father is put in an impossible situation of who is he supposed to be more allegiant to, whereas the mother is kind of also looking for an independence that she hasn't really had since she got married. and And all of this is so well done, and yet that's only the backdrop, because the actual crux of the story comes in the expense of a minor character who suffers uh, an indignity that starts to unravel the entire situation. And um, I won't spoil it for anyone hasn't seen it, but it's a powerhouse drama, and it is just so well done to the point where it's amazing to watch from start to finish uh, because you um not only get wrapped up in the drama of the marriage and how it's unfolding but once you start to get all the pieces as to this um uh incident that happens uh, on their property basically with the the caretaker that they hire for the father um once more and more layers are revealed as to what actually happened, because I'm being vague in case you haven't seen it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just starts to shed more and more light on the complexities of perspectives and what you bring to the same situation. And, of course, that illuminates one of their problems in their marriage, which is that neither one of them are wrong, but that means neither one of them can be fully right. And uh, it's just a gorgeous examination of that. And, of course, it's very illuminating as an American to watch and see a culture go through things a little bit differently. And um, yet the themes are still the same universally because obviously divorce is a very big commodity in America. We may go about it slightly differently, but it is, uh, you know, in every neighborhood and whatnot. Mm. And so, you know, you, you always to to see it done differently can kind of expose the fallacies of the way you're doing it and really just how it's awful no matter how you do it and there's no right way to do it and uh that it's one of the best final shots of the decade because mm-hmm. I will say considering it's not into the plot, I will spoil the final shot, which is after the incident is taken care of and completely resolved. That doesn't actually have to do with their marriage, but then they get back to the business of what they're going to do. The judge rightfully says, Okay, you know what? The two of you go out, send your daughter in. I'm going to ask her who she wants to stay with. And the two of them go out to the waiting room, and that shot just lingers as they sit there awaiting their sentence essentially by their own child and now that child's been put into an impossible situation. One that she's inherited because her parents are not able to reconcile their differences and it's such a gut-wrenching thing and we have to sit there with them as the credits are just rolling past the screen and, mm.
3: and they wait to see how their lives are going to be irrevocably changed. I've still only seen it the one time and I, I need to revisit it again. It's so a, good. It's Once again good.
0: watching it in class like yeah. Like I feel like watching Kurosawa or something in class is not that harmful to something like Kurosawa because those movies are so good, but also so technical. Like you can be like, "Here, we'll this shot, whatever." Whereas I would say low key dramas like poetry or this one, which is way more masterful, uh, separation. Some of the subtleties get slightly lost in it because I, I think sometimes a professor pays
2: too
3: yeah, close attention. You know, to we other
0: we. We, and that was the we, last day of class, too. Yeah, it was.
3: We, we, we rag on that a little bit, and it, it yeah. has definitely earned, especially that animation thing. But, you know, we watched some really good films that I would never we have. We did. Have, I mean, I would yeah. never have watched poetry. I um, had
0: actually never seen poetry, either. Yeah.
3: So um, uh, We watched uh, a couple other films. The one about the, the two bombers was, I thought, Paradise pretty Paradise Now, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and then also, too, that Osama film was yeah. just just... Pretty fucking depressing. Absolutely. Um but Tampopo. Yeah, I love Tampopo. Topo's Tam great. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I mean we watch good movies. Yeah. It's just, sometimes the context I got is you. important.
3: But no, um, Separation's very good and I I've been meaning to go back and rewatch and that foreign film is not really something that I've truly gotten into yet as an actual something like I love gone but, out of your way or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I but I'd love to rewatch. Tucson, have you ever seen that or, or not yeah What? Like, a separation? a separation by nope. Oscar
0: Farhadi.
1: Nope. Yeah, okay.
3: One of the greatest films of all
0: time. I want to check mm. it out now. It's very good. Okay. We'll, we'll do an episode on it one day. Yeah. Okay. My number two, A very Separation. Good.
3: Uh, my number two is a very mainstream film, mm-hmm. but also, too, a very important film for me, and that was 2012's The Avengers. <laughs> hey, hey! Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, going for the bottom of the barrel here, but that's okay, because... um, It was an event. It was an event. 2012? Yeah.
0: I was thinking that was like 2009 or something for some weird reason. Anyway. Two
3: years
1: after
0: Iron Man? I kind of felt like it, but anyway, continue.
3: Uh, The Avengers was a super important film, obviously for Marvel, for Disney and their newfound relationship with Marvel, but also to for me as a as a film viewer as that really marked a very interesting time in my life where i moved on from being a pretty i would say basic mainstream film viewer to being what i am today which is not entirely gone into independent film or foreign film or anything like that
1: but your palette has expanded it
3: is and it has been um and my interests have also diverged a bit from where i was from my youth in my younger days um but i will say um i still believe that the first avengers was a enormous achievement uh when it comes to mainstream um, multi-character blockbuster uh, yeah blockbuster filmmaking um this idea that i think is is taken a bit for granted now where we are in 2020 um as prior to the first avengers film um, there had been a lot of attempts for superhero team films and for the most part They've been failures. Um thinking of some of the two Fantastic Four films that came out. Um thinking of a lot of other just genres where we see multiple characters play out. Um, I'm thinking of like the end of like the Batman series with those Joel Schumacher films, even though it was just Batman and Robin, you still had all these characters playing throughout and it was a disaster and there could not really hone in on what the actual story should be and what characters should provide what dialogue and who should get what screen time. Um, And somehow Marvel was able to find the right method in their first Avengers film. Um, And they turned in this just ginormous blockbuster that was just a very quality film.
1: Yeah. um, Joss Whedon really was the filmmaker for that time to be able to pull off that first film, mm-hmm. uh, it did not work out in his favor necessarily for his second Avengers yeah. film. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that first one for, for what it's worth, like, yeah, that we would not have like any of the larger event like superhero films now were it not for the precedent well, of that. Well, and
3: and even if you you you,
1: it showed that it could be done. Yeah, and it, done well. Well, it
3: it did that, but also too. Um, it really did pave the way for this idea of creating these multi-character superhero films yeah. um, that were not just, you know, two characters or one character with another character uh, on the side. And I think it is pretty pretty interesting that at the time people were like, they'll never be able to get those five characters together and have it work on screen. That's too many. And then it's like, boom. Yeah. And uh, we'll see about that. Yeah, Do um,
1: you think that's too many?
3: Yep. Uh, wonderful comedy throughout uh, the film. Um, I actually think a very, very solid choice. As in this era, Marvel was really killing it with villains. And they did a great job with Loki in this film. Uh, as he was the villain in the first Thor. And then just continued on into this film. Which was a nice handoff uh, into the rest of the MCU. Um, and this just really did show good teamwork throughout the actual Avengers team and actually has them growing into what they wanted to be and being who they were as we saw them from their initial films and then becoming an actual team together and having to fight for to save New York City because of course it's New York City and yeah. the first Avengers film. It's the center of the universe. Fighting these alien beasts who nobody knows quite who they are. Um, but At the same time, this was just a super fun superhero film that um, really piqued my interest and kept me involved, even though I had seen all the previous MCU entries, uh, but I I really love this, and um, still to this day, prefer this to almost anything else uh, that's come out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just because it is so much fun, and it is a defining moment in this shift into what we now know as superhero films in a much different um, different view than what we were previously seeing the past 30 years. So, yeah. I'm a big fan of The Avengers, and I have it at number two on my top ten of the decade list. Mm. It's a fun flick. Sure. <laughs>
1: Another fun flick uh, is my number two. Yeah! Uh, Age of Ultron? No. My <laughs> number two is... Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden Ooh. from 2016 also in my top 20
0: just outside of my top 10. Yeah. So this good.
1: this film is such a such an exquisite Swiss watch of an erotic thriller that really it's it 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 transcends like the 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 sort of uh mainstream appeal of its eroticism to just being a well-crafted story that like through its like third act it's like i have no idea how the fuck we got here but i absolutely have to see this through to its conclusion it's just so riveting and it's just awesome um i love the cam work in this film i love the acting in this film i love the the score i love just the cinematography is just so fucking good i'm just like i want to go back and watch it now because it's been a while since I've watched it, but I still remember it so vividly.
0: One of my favorite uh, visual gags of a decade, which is when um, the one is hanging herself, and, me- and the other one goes yeah. out there to stop her you know, and help her. Yeah. And she's holding yeah. her feet, and then when she, I can't remember what she confesses, but she confesses something, yeah. and then, she's- you bitch. <laughs> and then you know, she just drops her feet, just yeah. like, okay, I'll just let you hang there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I-, I absolutely love the handmaiden as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's exquisitely crafted, and uh, kind of a, precursor to something like parasite yeah absolutely uh in yeah. the sense that they I, they would make a great double feature i think i
1: think park uh i'm not sh- i i i'd have to go back and check this but i believe that park chanwook was actually a producer for parasite <laughs> makes a lot of um, sense like i'm glad to see those two just like oh yeah like working together because buddy like buddy. shit you can own this shit if you work together man yeah like yeah uh,
0: Honestly on this episode we mentioned the three in my opinion titans of uh South Korean cinema mm-hmm. of this decade which yeah. was uh Lee Chang-dong, uh, Park Chan-wook and uh Bang Ngo, and Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. yeah. They're so good at what they do. Yeah. Uh but yeah, no, I I absolutely love The Handmaiden. I actually showed it to Alex finally I think yeah. a year ago or something and he yeah. thought it was okay.
1: It was one of the uh <laughs> the rare uh South Korean films that sort of like Pierce through into the mainstream because I remember hearing about a lot of people who were just like, Oh, yeah, I want to go see The Handmaiden, The Handmaiden. And like, people who never, like, we're the kind of guys who will drive to Evanston in order to, like, make a day out of, like, watching some and movies. We did
0: to see that one. Yeah, and, we did.
1: And I, yeah. Exactly. And it's just like, you, like, we are not representative necessarily of the mainstream in that regard who will just go to see a movie just because it happens to be open yeah. that, that week. We, Look forward and anticipate those sort of things. But, like, the phenomena of people just sort of gravitating to the handmaiden on the stre- the pure strength of, of word of mouth was really interesting yeah. when it came out. So, yeah. yeah.
0: It was even nominated for Best uh, Foreign Film. It didn't win, but... The fact that it was nominated, I thought was actually pretty great just because it seems very outside of the comfort zone.
3: Yeah, yeah I remember enjoying it. Yeah. I like yeah. to watch it again sometimes. The handmaiden um, walked so that
1: Parasite could run. <laughs> that's my I number think two. The handmaiden fucked
0: so that the Parasite <laughs> could run, but sure.
3: Yes! We, yes! Guys, we've arrived at our number one we of the We did it! Th- and
0: so far, I was right. Yeah,
3: no crossover for anybody. Actually,
0: I was going to say I don't think there's been a single film yeah. that's actually been. So, so. Yeah. Anyway,
3: uh, but we made it number one. I feel one like I know what your number decade. one is. I'm yeah. not going to
0: guess it out loud. Mm-hmm. Although, ironically, I could be completely way off, and I'm like thinking of something else completely. But, yeah, I'm sure you're right. But I would have thought it already came up by now, which is making me think that it's going to be your number one anyway. Yeah. Well, my number one is a no-brainer for myself. Uh, it is. Do you know what it is? I do. Okay. Yeah. Because you looked or because you just like No, I just knew. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it is the Coen Brothers inside Lewin Davis. Mm. Uh it is an American masterpiece in my opinion. Um it cemented Oscar Isaac as a force to be reckoned with, uh, in my opinion, in this decade. Um, I mean, he was doing some work before it, for sure, but, like, from this point on. He's been he... doing work since? Yes, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but he's never been better in my eyes uh, yeah. than he was in Inside Lewin Davis, a-, a film that I think is genuinely amazing. Um, oh. <laughs> from the. Uh, Oh, Adam Driver. Oh, yeah. Outer space! Outer space! space. Uh, From the circular structure of the movie, which I think is totally uh, earned and not at all gimmicky, but also just kind of profound, um, in which we see the ending of the trajectory first, and yet it seamlessly uh moves into the past, and so we're tricked into thinking that it's actually the beginning, and so on and so forth, because, like he Lewin says on stage, if it never knew and it was never old, that it's a folk song, just like his life um i hmm. uh, I just think this is an exquisite film, I think it's hilarious at parts uh the whole dinner conversation with the cat when he returns in, and uh the the wife is like, Where's crown?" uh it's just a very memorable scene but also all the asides that Oscar Isaac has to uh, throw out there Um, like when he shows up which he's getting as a a favor from the Justin Timberlake character uh, to the recording session because they need an extra player or whatever and he's looking at it and he just goes who wrote this shit (laughs) and Justin Timberlake's like I I did did." and he's like oh okay and he doesn't even apologize he's just kind of like oh you know whatever um, and it's it is a testament to his character, uh, to the performance, but also to the writing, that no matter how much of an asshole he is, he's still kind of likable because he's just so beaten down by this trajectory that he's on. So that while he does make very bad decisions at times, or like, for example, when he tries to get the abortion money from Jim, who's technically going out with Jean. Because Oscar Isaac, uh, Lewin, and Jean had an affair, and now she's pregnant. But he's getting the abortion money because he's poor from her own boyfriend without telling him what it's for. Is just one of the lowest of the low. Uh, especially because he also just kind of like renegs out of it like immediately after you know when he's like, oh, I gotta ask Jean for the money, and then he's like, what? No, you don't. And he goes, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a lot of money. I mean, he's like, never mind, forget it. Um, and. I absolutely love uh, his egocentrism like when um at the uh at the Gaslight Cafe when he's there with them and the uh, the stark character played by Stark stands uh when he's like we have a special guest here and Lewin just assumes that he's talking about him when he's really talking about Jim and Jean and there's just I could I could go on and I could and I won't but there's so many moments in this movie that I absolutely love I I think the music obviously as a folky uh is gorgeous, um, most of them, or not all of them, uh, are reappropriated folk songs from our past and um, made famous by either Bob Dylan or Dave Von Ronk, the uh, inspiration for Lewin Davis as the character, um, but there's also so many great scenes stealing cameos, uh, John Goodman shows up uh, with uh, Garrett Dillahunt, uh randomly, and uh, both of them are great, and... The photography is stunning. It has that kind of luscious uh wintry setting where even though it's got a, got that sepia tone to it, it still feels weirdly bitter and cold and whatnot uh kind of reminds me of a cinematography on something like a most violent year you know where it's kind of uh it's it's weirdly picturesque and yet you also don't want to be there <laughs> um and uh yeah inside uh lewin davis uh it's just an amazing film i could talk and i'm sure one day we will do an episode on it so i'm excited for that whenever that happens but i've never seen a more perfect film that was just tailor-made to my interests and and what i like in a movie and um i ah, got it so good i love it <laughs> have both of you seen it no i haven't oh so you only know the song from uh okay
1: i only it from the memes
3: yeah hmm. Yeah. Well, you're missing out, my friend. I will check yeah, it we out. We'll have to do an episode. We've we've seen it together. F- so. Yes,
0: in fact. That's how much I like it. When we went and saw it together, I think that was my third time seeing it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I threw out my back like the day before. And when you had texted me, like, you want to go see Inside Lou and Davis? Like, I didn't care how bad my back was feeling that day. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to go see it again uh, because that's how much it soothed, uh, soothed me and, mm-hmm. and how much I just absolutely love it. So, yeah, uh, yeah no, it's. um. There's, uh, I'll say one more thing about it, which is that. The emotional trajectory uh, of Lewin's character, and this is probably a bad thing, is but it's probably the most I've ever felt seen and represented in a movie, <laughs> which is not to say that I think of myself as a huge asshole, uh, but some of his world weariness at trying and, you know, a Sisyphean task of doing what you think you want to do in life and having it fail not for the right reasons but for the wrong ones. Uh, to the point where you get to the end of the the walk and, you know, his line to, uh, I think, his sister, but when he just says, I'm just so tired. And, like, that's that's all he says, you know, in the context of that scene. Um, It's just so great. And, of course, the fact that it's encapsulated by folk music Hmm. is right there for me. So, Inside Lewin Davis, I think, is the Coen brothers' greatest concoction and perfectly distills their literal uh, folksy persona into a powerhouse dramatic character so Inside Lewin Davis my number one Okay. so
3: when do you want to do the have the the
0: abortion the sooner the better okay I'll see when the guy can do it then the
2: guy I hope it's a doctor
0: yeah 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 he's a doctor you got the money yes I have the money don't worry with you I worry well you shouldn't yes I should God knows you never do You just let other people at your method of birth control. please don't start with the double condoms again.
2: Do you ever think about the future at all?
0: (sighs) The future? You mean like flying cars? Hotels on the moon? Tang? And this is why you're fucked? No, it's why you're fucked. You're just trying to blueprint a future, move to the suburbs with gym, have kids. That's bad. If that's what music is for you, a way to get to that place, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a little careerist. And it's a little square. And it's a
2: little sad. I am sad. You're the one who's not getting anywhere. You don't want to get anywhere. Me and Jim try. Well, I, I wanna. We get... try. You sleep on the couch.
3: It's a bad thing to throw in my face, man. You know,
2: you don't want to go anywhere. And that's why all the same shit is going to keep happening to you, because you want it to. Is that why? Yes, and also because you're an asshole who sleeps with other people's women. Let's not forget that.
0: Well, you're being pretty kind to yourself now, aren't you? Who's
2: catching
1: you on tonight? I told you, Al Cody's. You don't listen. You just spout vitriol.
3: Uh my number 1 uh actually was number 1 on my list always and it was never in danger of not being number 1 so it was my easiest selection to make and that is uh the wolf of wall street. Ah uh, yeah, it was yeah. Which uh Martin Scorsese bookends my list uh who has he had a fantastic run here in this decade. As he started with Shutter Island, then went to Wolf of Wall Street, Silence, and then ended with The Irishman. Uh, a wonderful decade for him. That's a pretty
0: good year. Or, not year. Yeah. Year. Yeah. All those movies. No, yeah. But yes, it is.
3: No, yeah. I mean, those are four winners in four pretty different movies. Um, So he, he did some really good work uh, in and this he, decade. Was Hugo in this decade? Or was that? No. no was okay. That was in I like remember. 2008 or 2007. Those, anyway. Yeah. So, Wolf of Wall Street, um, you know, Nick would just mentioned about his interest in, in landing on that. And and I feel like this... Not... He goes 2011. Was it? Really? Yeah, I knew he had this. And that's another great movie by wow. him. Wow. Yep. He directed and... five films? Okay. Yep. Sorry. Good, good for him. <laughs> wow. All of them winners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily hit on my personal interests, But in terms of my film interest, uh, this is just so over-the-top, loud, in-your-face, comedic gold, basically from start to finish. Um, Toussaint made a mention on our Irishman episode about how funny that film is. And he is right, Mm -hmm. um, as a lot of Scorsese's films, whether it be that or Casino, Um, or some of his earlier works are very funny Um, but unlike those films Wolf of Wall Street has a much different tone (laughs) and is very intentionally hilarious as that is on the cusp of being a just true comedy from start to finish Uh, that's not to say that there is not suspense and drama and just tomfoolery going on throughout the entirety of the picture but That is a film that is meant there, meant for laughs, uh, and they have had, from start to finish, in a very long film, as it's a usual Scorsese three-hour movie. Um, But uh, from the first viewing, I just absolutely ate up the entirety of The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I thought that... Uh, Michael Fassbender got bent over at the Academy Awards when uh, he lost to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, even though I love The Revenant. Um, This is Leo's definitive performance, in my opinion, and he was very good this year in Once Upon a Time in the Hollywood, but this is exactly what Leonardo DiCaprio was born to play, are these insane, ridiculous, over-the-top characters that can do a lot of shouting and all that stuff. Um, He's delivering a hallmark performance of his own stereotyped persona in this film uh, and also delivering on a character and somehow uh, pretty much perfectly landing on what Martin Scorsese's career has been is trying to showcase and build up these terrible characters without making them sympathetic figures. Um, And I think he does it masterfully again in this film, even though I do think there are parts where people watch this and go, man, you know what? I'd like to be a billionaire. Um, But at the same time, there is never an instance where Jordan Belfort is could be thought of as a good person. No, he's just this unethical piece of trash uh, who goes around and takes people's money. He's basically a sexy version of Bernie Madoff. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> thanks, Nick. Uh, and we have him and multiple other characters. Jonah Hill is really good in this. Uh, He's not playing a comedic character, but a very good performance by Kyle Chandler. Uh, He gets lobster thrown in himself in this. Uh, Also, money, as uh, Leonardo DiCaprio refers to it as fun coupons, which is great. Um, And uh, this is actually an early, somewhat early performance for uh, John Bernthal in terms of films. Um, And he's become a really solid character actor uh, throughout this decade. But he's great in this movie as well. Um, and, obviously, Margot Robbie, um, this is really where she rose to prominence, too. Um, so, Wolf of Wall Street is funny and a great watch and just just wonderful. Just a really, really good film. And, for my personality, it really doesn't get much better than that. So. Huge fan. Number one on my list is Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like if a, th-
0: a therapist was listening and psychoanalyzed mm. us right now based off of our <laughs> our number ones, they'd be worried for very different reasons about mm. both of us. But I absolutely love The Wolf of Wall Street as well. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, it's one of those where, I mean, I liked it when it first came out, but mm-hmm. I definitely have to. I had to come around on the three-hour running time because the first time I watched it, I... I liked it, but I was also like, too long, just whatever. <laughs> now I think it's actually his best three-hour film. Like mm. I feel like it's the one, like it's not my favorite Scorsese film, but I do think it's the one that actually does earn, if not thematically, bludgeon you with its three-hour running time uh, for good use. And I I like that movie actually more every time I watch it. It's just, it's very, very good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So.
3: All right, the final uh, thing on our uh, I know what list. this one's going to be. Yeah. You do? I've got a pretty good idea on yeah, what it's going to be. I'm pretty sure well. we're
0: thinking the same
3: thing. Okay, so so we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yep. But he said, if he says something different, I'll be... I will I'm, be too. I'll be surprised, mostly because this is not earlier on his list. But well, yeah, that's... yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So so. I, th- I think we got this. Yeah. So moving on to Tucson Egan in his number one. Okay.
1: My number one is 2014's... Ex Machina.
3: Yeah, that's, that's what yeah. we bought the suit. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I still maintain that Ex Machina is, if not the best sci-fi film of the past decade, I think it's definitely one of the best sci-fi films of the past decade. It's one of the best directorial debuts of the past decade for Alex Garland. Um, yeah, I can't sing this film's praises high enough. I think that it is a, it is a lean one location, uh, pretty much three character centric, like sci-fi film that constantly poses deep questions that really pull me into this universe, not just into this universe, universe necessarily, but also into sort of like my own sort of questions as to like how science, how artificial intelligence would function in a real world setting. Uh, The conversation between uh, Nathan and Caleb about the utility of gender and sexuality in a artificial intelligence still strikes me as like one of the most memorable like exchanges in that entire film, not only for the fact that it sort of emphasizes their respective personalities and their own viewpoints, not kind of kind of leveraging one as being more uh, valid than the other, but just the fact that having looked back on that recently and realize that there's a whole other layer to that exchange for the fact of who is allowed to participate in that exchange when it turns out that there are actually three people in that room and that one of them cannot talk and that one of them is actually an artificial being that has been foisted with uh, a female gender. The very, the very gender that is being like dissected between these two male gendered homo sapiens and it's just it, it it's it's fascinating to me like once you realize that it it's there's no the ending wasn't going to be anything but that and yet there are so many other countless like great moments respective to those uh, to Donald Gleason and to uh Oscar Isaac and uh who plays Ava? Uh
3: Alicia Vikander.
1: Alicia Vikander is awesome in this. It's just uh an absolutely wonderful film. Uh, and, yeah, I, I all I want is more original like sci-fi films from Alex Garland.
3: You seen? Have you seen the trailer I've for, seen, his, uh, for his I've show, seen, Devs? I've
1: seen the trailer for Devs. I'm really looking forward oh, to yeah, it. Oh,
3: yeah, I saw that as well. I
0: thought
1: that looked good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be absolutely um, awesome. And it also has a uh, uh, – I can't remember her name, Sonoya – Mayano, I think she's the one who plays Yoko in this film. The, the, oh, the character that I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm referring to, like she is yeah, yeah, going yeah. to be the main character in dev. So Ugh. I'm really excited for that. Of my
3: Oh, you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in any film, uh, this decade was actually early on in, uh, early on in ex machina, where he's describing, um, Oscar Isaac's character is describing um, to Caleb about how he finally broke through on how to create artificial intelligence, basically. And yeah, everybody's got a phone. Well, no, I, I was more describing about how the brain needed to be able to move a little bit and mm-hmm. and, and expand and contract and how the idea of this creating this stiff... Uh, you know spot where this would be housed is not realistic for how
1: the mind works. And yeah.
3: can go even for a, a robot. Um, I just thought that was incredible. I mean there are so many great scenes in that. I mean just even the even the, it's probably for comedy but even the, the one spot where he's he, um, talking about that. Eh, why do you like certain people. Let's just say it's black chicks. Yeah. Like, what?
1: What's your type like of. of- woman oh, like okay. no salad dressing <laughs> like fuck you
3: man yeah um yeah this is that that's a wonderful movie it's yeah. very good
1: we're gonna call ghostbusters <laughs> ghostbusters what <laughs> it's like yeah it's
3: a fucking crass piece of garbage it has a jackson pollock painting in his house yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the first of all i just want to say respect Sant because we both chose oscar isaac performances was our number one. Yeah. Uh, but also I want to highlight Oscar Isaac's performance in that movie mm-hmm. because that is such an atypical performance for that kind of genre mm-hmm. in the sense that it's so perfectly is a weird marriage of Silicon frat boy mm-hmm. with actual mad genius that I just remember when I first saw it, I was not prepared for that. Like I would just uh, thought that either A it would have went one way or the other. Right. But the fact that he totally owns that kind of, uh, melding, uh, and that's why he's gotten to where he is in that world, you know, but like, like the way they're introduced is, you know, like him after he's doing his like workout or whatever. And, but it like, um, I just think Oscar Isaac, I mean, Tom Hall Gleason's also great at it, but I just think Oscar Isaac is such a good person and I want him.
1: I want him to have all the success in the world. (laughs)
0: Oh man, X Machina, That's a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it is. I'd agree. Yep. And that is those are my films of the decade. Okay. Wow.
0: That was good.
3: That was actually pretty uh good pacing for us. I know. Usually our top six is about the same amount of time. So yeah. we did that and this. So awesome. That was a that was a good time, and I'm I'm glad uh Nick you brought up uh doing this episode. So it's a great time. Yeah. Fun oh, stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, anyone out there has a top ten list, send them to us at FilmTankShow at gmail.com uh, or uh, send them to us on Twitter as well. Always available there. Uh, coming up on our next episode, uh, our first real film that we're going to do in the new years. We did Watchmen and then also um, talking about our top ten of the we decade.
0: done a normal episode
3: yet. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do an episode on Terry Gilliam's 1991 film The Fisher King, uh, which stars uh, Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams, uh, a film that I actually have yet to see, um, and I'm very much looking forward to, and comes from pretty high praise from both Nick and Toussaint, so going to uh, enjoy viewing and also talking about this. It's
0: going to be weird for me, because I bought The Criterion, and I haven't watched it since I haven't watched my copy of it yet, mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen this probably in at least ten years. I mean, I know I like it. You know, it's not going to be like, "What the hell is this?" Um, but like, one of my blockbuster memories is of finding the VHS cover for this—maybe it was DVD, but whatever—on the shelf and going, "What is this? This is Robin Williams. He's a funny man." And and then checking it out and certainly being surprised. Mm. So. I'm excited for everyone to watch it.
3: <laughs> I am looking forward to it as well. So, uh, thank you very much to Tucson Egan, Nick Cheney, and from the two of them and myself, Alex Diegman. Thank you very much. Up there, and we will talk with you next time here on Film Tank.